Welcome back to the Bit Beacon broadcast. This is episode 013. I'm Rick. I'm Taylor. And we're recording on December 19th, 2023. This might be... Well, no, we still have a couple more episodes this month. Oh, yeah. We do. Um, so we got a lot to talk about today. Um, so we're going to kind of speed through some of these first couple topics to get to the meat and potatoes. Um, so real quick, we're just going to touch on what we've been playing. Um, I have played through the main story of the new Pokemon, uh, the Hidden Treasures of Area Zero Part 2, the Mm -hmm. Indigo Disc, Mm -hmm. downloadable content for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I've would love to talk about it, but I think I'm going to save most of that discussion for next week and maybe Rick will have had a chance to play with it a little bit too. Um, yeah. But uh, other than that, I haven't been playing much of anything else. been so busy with everything going on. Right. Um, this is December. Yeah. And we've talked about that. Um, privately, at least. Uh, I think we mentioned it last week. You know, right. it's just, it's a busy it's, time of it's month. Just, it's a hard month to get gaming There's something in. on the calendar every day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is, but I December is just like this crazy montage. Anyways, um... I, the only thing I can report to have played in the past week is Pokemon Go. Okay. And as of, I think, two nights ago, uh, we have some new time research. A lot of new time research. It's like three or four different timed research. Yeah, I opened the app the other day, and like I have a bunch of stuff in the Today tab. I've got a bunch of stuff in the Special Research mm-hmm. tab. It's That's right. a little overwhelming because yeah. I haven't been keeping up with it all so much lately. So. Um, Catch Pokemon, specifically ice types. Uh-huh. Use berries and get curveball throws, okay. and you'll be good. Like you'll you'll find that like they're they're complete. It, it'll be like twenty three tasks updated. Oh my god! Yeah, it's like yeah, just do those three things and you will be good. Okay, it's All but right. it is overwhelming to look at. Yeah, like the amount. Of stuff. I do like the nice winter vibe going on in Pokemon Go right now. Oh yeah, and when you tap on a pokemon to catch it like the background and stuff is all snowmen and yeah yeah, i saw the new event pikachu Mm -hmm. it is for the first time a different christmas Pikachu. it's got like a scarf and stuff now i don't think it's the first time really i think last year was last year was the same one oh okay no 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 the the one new it is new this this year year. yes okay but last year was also new oh it was okay yeah um but yeah when I saw I'm, the Santa hat, I was like, again? But then I saw it has a... I think the Santa hat looks a little nicer, too. Yeah, it's like a beanie rather right, than right. like a full-blown... Oh, no, last year was the beanie. Uh, This is somewhere between a beanie and like a Santa oh, hat. Oh, okay. It's, All right. Well, you're a... playing a lot more than me, so I'm going to defer to you okay. on that. <laughs> but, yeah, so um, I'm looking for my shiny Pikachu. Uh, <laughs> you find them, usually. Yeah, yeah usually, yeah. I... Shoot, I think I have 12. I counted Dang. the other day. Yeah. Anyways, a um, lot of new costume Pokemon. A lot of timed research. It's a lot. It's uh, overwhelming to look at. But again, my advice, my tips would be um, catch ice Pokemon, use berries, and get curveball throws. All right, everyone. You heard it from you, the master over it. here. That's it. That's all you got to do, and you'll get all your research done. Yes. Um, okay, so that's all we've been playing. Uh, 
what have we been up to? I did go to an event this weekend, another River City Girls event. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was specifically to celebrate the first year anniversary of River City Girls 2. It was a very small event, super low-key. The director of the game, as well as the two lead voice actresses, were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about their experience at the game. There was a small kind of like audience component, and people could ask questions. You know, the usual kinds of silly audience questions that you'd expect to get asked, got asked. Um, There were some good questions, though, but the highlight of the event was that uh, they were doing a signing afterward. Mm -hmm. And normally voice actors ask for money to sign games. And uh, they were asking for money if you brought anything... Uh, unrelated to River City Girls, but anything River City Girls was like complimentary to be signed, which was pretty cool of them. Um, because yeah, I think one of them normally charges forty for a signature, and yeah. the other charges thirty. Um, and that was a little, little rich for my blood. One so, of it's a little bourgeois. Like you I mean, get, I yeah. I get it. Voice actors don't get paid very much. Right. I um, mean, from our perspective. Yeah, from our perspective, that's like, whoa, I'm used to getting my signatures for right, free. Right, <laughs> From the people who, like, make the games but and direct the like, games. like, imagine having a whole game collection, like a whole console library. Yeah. And you're trying to hunt signatures, autographs. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, that's that's expensive. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, these two ladies have a lot of, like, credits. Uh, one of the ones was the the voice actress for the main character of Nier Automata, uh, 2B, as she's known as. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I did bring my copy of that before I knew how much they were charging. I was like, I might have sprung if it was 20 bucks, but for 30 I was like, mm-hmm. ah, I, just, I, just can't, I just can't pay that much for a signature. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it was nice to get my game signed. Um, saw some friends there that I hadn't seen in a little while, so that was cool. Um, but then I drove home and that, and that drive was brutal cause I was all the way in Burbank for that event. Yeah. Um, I wish I went. Yeah. I wish you had been there, but I get it. You know, yeah. you had your reasons. Well, night, night shift. Yeah. Night shifts. Yeah. I mean, so it's either sleep or don't sleep and then go back to work again. Right. Yeah. Um, so no one can, I can't fault you for not coming. Um, Okay. We're going to jump into a couple news topics that we had bumped from last week. Um, I need to take a quick sip of water. Rick, can you? Yeah. So um, we are uh, talking about an interview with uh, Zelda movie director Hints um, at his ambitions with the film. Yeah. So Wes Ball, who we previously talked about as being the announced director for the Zelda movie, um, was doing an interview with Entertainment Weekly. Um, and Entertainment Weekly was talking to him because he's the director of the new Planet of the Apes film, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess he's wrapping up production on that. And I'm sorry, you're probably hearing this horn in the background right yeah. now. <laughs> That's the corn guy. Our, our corn third. guy or a car? I'm not sure what that is. Um, and uh, Entertainment Weekly asked him uh, what he hopes to kind of visually achieve with the film, and Wes Ball said, This awesome fantasy adventure movie that isn't like Lord of the Rings. It's its own thing. I've always said I would love to see a live-action Miyazaki. That wonder and whimsy that he brings to things. I would love to see something like that. Okay. All right, yeah. So you know, you already know I'm going to have thoughts. 
Um, so let's let's clarify what he means by Miyazaki yeah, real quick. Right. Okay. Who's Miyazaki? Miyazaki is the Gib- Studio Ghibli um, director who did most the, of, most the, of their films, like yeah. the definitive master of anime yeah. films. Yes, like he's the best. He's the Japanese Walt Disney, and yeah. he still he just had a movie come out like a week ago, I think, mm-hmm. supposedly his last film. But he said that last right. time too. Yeah, a lot of people say that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. But it's it. I will say that this quote makes it seem to me that West Ball doesn't really have a grasp on what Zelda is. Well, it's interesting you say that because, and I'm and like Miyazaki's good news. Like to hear him reference Miyazaki, that's good. That news. is good news. But like it, a fantasy adventure movie that isn't like Lord of the Rings. It's its own thing. Zelda's a bit more than that. Like, you know, like, there's more to Zelda than just a fantasy that's not Lord of the Rings. Right. Well, at least he's not saying he's going to go for, like, some Game of Thrones-looking movie for Zelda. Well, I don't think Nintendo would agree with No. Approve of that. And what I mean, like, the visual identity of, like, Lord of the Rings is, like, what Game of Thrones basically went for. With, like, their kind of... The visual aesthetic, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And then taking the maturity up to right. 11. Yes, definitely. Right. Um, so, I like, I guess we're just not going to get that gritty, you know, European castle, you know, wilderness I, look to I it. don't see... Okay, the... So, Zelda has its own kind of, like, brand of grittiness. Mm-hmm. And that comes in the form of enemies like the Dead Hand and yeah. Ocarina of Time and stuff like that. That was gritty. Right. Bottom of the Well was gritty. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't Game of Thrones gritty. No. That, that's different. Yeah. Um, I mean, to... So when we previously talked about this movie, before we talked about Wes Ball becoming the director, we were just kind of riffing on the idea of what a Zelda movie would look like. And we were talking about how we think, like... Uh, Studio Ghibli would have been a good fit for a Zelda movie. 100%. Like, yeah, do it animated. They're, they've never done anything wrong. Yeah, but they don't really do much commercial work. Right. You know, like they... Like commission work. Yeah. Right. Like, they pretty much only... They repurpose, like, fairy tale stories and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their own original stories. But I don't think they've ever done, like, work for hire. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll take we'll make a McDonald's movie, you know, if they pay us enough. Right. You know, they're not doing that. Um, so I that would be nuts. <laughs> that would be Ronald McDonald because there were games on Genesis and stuff. Right. So I kind of got a little bit of taste of that yeah. universe. Um, so I mean, if there was maybe any property that Studio Ghibli would get involved with, maybe it would have been Zelda. That might that probably would have been a good fit. It, honestly, yeah, I think so. Because it's like a cultural touchstone if, for Japan. If there was a Miyazaki film that was The Legend of Zelda movie, yeah. oh, I'd be there yeah. day one. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd have my ticket. Um, but that's not what we're getting. We're getting American West Ball mm-hmm. making this film. But he says he wants to go for some kind of Miyazaki idea visual identity uh, okay that's fair so yeah. i mean if he if but he's somehow u- live action okay if he's using miyazaki as his inspiration for this film or his sort of like guide you know that would be that's a good that's I good think so. that's good news like that's great news 
So when they asked him whether Zelda would be the next project he's on, this is what he had to say. He said, we're working on the script, and whether it's the next one or not, it's hard to say exactly. But certainly the plan is, after Apes is done, to have a little bit of a rest for a moment, and then dive into Zelda and hopefully give fans what they're hoping for, and also invite new people in. I think Nintendo's desire is to introduce people to this world that's been around for 40 years now. Um, so, this is what I get out of there. That sounds a little bit more educated yeah. than his last quote. Yeah. Um, but when he talks about, he's not even sure if that's his next movie or not yet. Mm-hmm. Because they still don't even have a script. Well, this is all pretty breaking still it is. with the Zelda movie. So. Well, that's why I'm wondering, like, why did they announce it? Why didn't they wait till they had a script? Yeah. Like, because... Or just, like, you know, if there should be a world premiere at the Game Awards, mm-hmm. this might need to be it. Yeah. Like, this would be it. Yeah. You know, but, get... like, Wes Ball, if he does another movie, that means he's tied up for another two years minimum. Right. So that means... Oh, there's the corn guy. Yeah, he's here. He's here, he's, everyone. He's 100% here. Um, That means he's tied up for another two years. And then a Zelda movie's got to have at least a year of pre-production mm-hmm. before they even start filming. And probably a year of post-production. So we're like at least, so bare minimum, right. five years away from so, the Zelda movie. So my premiering. issue with the announcement isn't the waiting factor. I'm a patient person. Oh, I'm patient too. Um, but my issue is the way that, like, if... We talked about the Game Awards last episode and their whole, you know, crazy fantasy relationship with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, the like the perfect world premiere would be the Zelda movie announcement and or trailer. Yeah, like a trailer or some kind. Yeah. Like that would be the perfect. That'd be a good place for it. Jeff Keighley yeah. world premiere. He gets the best of both worlds. Yes, he gets exactly. Hollywood. And, and everyone and would love it. Everyone. Yeah. The game, the hardcore gamers and the Hollywood types. Well, I'll people. say this. Um, Nintendo debuted all the trailers as part of Nintendo Directs. But they weren't like the Directs where they showed games. They, they had like movie Directs. Mm-hmm. So I think Nintendo would probably keep a tight leash... And want that to be on like their Definitely. terms, yeah, yeah. But I'm not, yeah, you're but right. They, they have also done world premieres at the Game Awards. Yeah, they have. Bayonetta three was originally right. announced there years ago. You know, I I don't see it. I in recent years they've really scaled back their appearance at the Game Awards. Yeah, like they yeah. don't get too involved in any announcements anymore. You get the sentiment of what I'm saying. Yeah, like, but um, whether it be Nintendo Direct or whether it be yeah. um Game Awards. Uh, this, to announce it, like, before they have a script, before the director even knows if this is his next project. Right. That's a little premature. That's a little not thought out well. I mean, this is so far out that, like, we could go through, they could finish this script, not like it, hire another writer, write another script. Wes Ball could get tied up in something and they have to find another director. I mean, Mm -hmm. so many things can happen here. Like, we might not even be talking to the right guy yet. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. This whole thing could just be nothing that we're even talking about. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on this story as it develops very slowly over the next several years, no doubt. Uh, (laughs) 
this is gonna appear in like every other episode of no this. i mean i don't think we're gonna hear about it too much until until i mean we'll probably hear more interviews with him but i don't if this, this it's not his next movie then we're gonna have nothing to talk about for a while this might be a strategy that nintendo has figured out where they make a way premature announcement it's for people to forget about mm. and then remember mm. later Okay. I, and I have, like, oh yeah. I feel like I have seen this before. Yeah. Um. So I wonder if this could take ten years, and oh, then man. and then all of us will remember when it was announced right. way back in the day. When we're all nearly fifty, right? <laughs> I'm just you know throwing that number out. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we're gonna move on to another news story. Um. Nintendo Japan cancels uh their big live event in early 2024 due to threats of violence Mm -hmm. um so nintendo had planned to host its japanese nintendo live event in january uh in tokyo on the 20th and the 21st so nintendo live originally started in japan i think in 2018 or 2019 it's kind of like their version of playstation experience where it's just nintendo games there's demos, there's photo ops, and things like that. Live music. I think specifically at the Japanese show, they have like hologram concerts with like KK Slider and mm-hmm. um, like the Splatoon, uh, like idols and things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know they they did a Nintendo Live in Seattle in the U.S. for the first time this year, and I did go to that, and it was really cool. And um, so it's kind of crazy to think that the one scheduled for Japan just isn't even going to be held next year. Yeah. Um, but this tournament, or uh, sorry, this event was canceled along with a bunch of esports tournaments that were scheduled to happen at the event. Now, the esports tournaments, they say, are just postponed until a further date. Um, but the live event itself is just not happening next year at all. Do we have an idea of how many different esports etc events um i think there was there was one or two different splatoon events i think there was like a world championship and then there was like a high school level championship event okay uh i want to say there was a mario kart 8 world championship uh Mm. event as well as a some kind of smash brothers event too okay wow that's quite a bit Yeah. yeah so all of those were postponed um and the reason they were postponed and canceled is because uh, Nintendo has been receiving threats of violence towards employees, spectators, and event staff at a Splatoon event that was scheduled to happen this past weekend, actually, on the 16th and 17th. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Nintendo chose to take these threats seriously, postpone that event, cancel Nintendo Live, and uh, figure out another way to do those esports tournaments, probably without any kind of spectators, would be my guess. Um, Now, and it might seem... Like, you know, gamers are a fickle bunch. You know, they say things like, I'm going to kill that guy for, you know, doing that. Right. And, you know. There's been a track record in the States of people showing up with, you know, American people, the way they do it. They post it on Facebook before they show up. (laughs) Here's all the guns I'm bringing to the Pokemon World Championships. Right. And it's, yeah, it's ridiculous, but. I can understand being a gamer. My younger self would have saw this and been like, come on. Like, oh, I would be, imagine you have a ticket to go to this thing. Right. And Nintendo's like, no, it's not happening. The disappointment. Yeah. A younger me would have. This is ridiculous. Yeah. 
Exactly, but but we understand. <laughs> we understand now. We understand why, and you know, in Japan, guns aren't really a problem, right? But they have had a different. They've kind had of explosives issues. and toxic yeah. gases and stuff. So like that. a couple years ago, um, in Kyoto, actually, where Nintendo's located, there's this animation studio called Kyoto Animation, and there was an arson attack there in 2019. 36 people died, and another 33 people were injured, all because the perpetrator felt that the studio had stolen an original idea of his and incorporated it into one of their animations. Based on a pitch or something, right? Yeah, the studio was like, people could submit stories or mail stuff to them, and this guy felt that something he had mailed to them was used in like one little scene of an episode, and he decided that he was going to... Show up to the studio, walk inside the lobby, douse the whole place in gasoline, yeah. and then light it on fire. Yeah. And he killed 36 people. 36 people. That's a... Yeah. That's a massacre. Yeah. He basically trapped them all inside the building. Yeah. Due to the fire at the entrance. Right. Um. I mean, what... I mean, idea... From a creative perspective, I will say that ideas are cheap. Yeah. You know, you have an idea every other day. Right. It, just come up with a new idea. Yeah. Like, don't kill 36 people. <laughs> uh, I think he was maybe originally hoping that by submitting this, he would maybe be able to get, like, a job there or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there was probably multiple levels of, like, rejection yeah, that were hitting him. Sure. Not saying that he's justified by any means whatsoever. I, I get that, though. Um. And so, yeah, Nintendo's, maybe they're receiving similar kinds of threats and they're like, this isn't worth one person losing their life over, you know? Yeah. So they've erred on the side of caution. Whether it was some empty threat or something more serious, we won't know. I mean, that kind of disappointment of canceling an event like that is the kind of disappointment that people will forget quickly. I think so. Because it, it was in a good place. Yeah. You know, it's coming from a good place. And I think Nintendo made a good call. Yeah. Um, okay. We are moving right along. We're doing very well on time. So we're going <laughs> to... Every week. Every week we say that and then we end up going for two and a half hours. Yep. But uh, we'll see what we can do this week, everyone. All right, guys. Um, come on, root for us. <laughs> we're going to jump into our big huge meaty topic for this week mm-hmm. it starts off with a piece of news and then we're gonna kind of get in there dissect it and try to figure out what happened why we think the what happened happened pretty mm-hmm. much yeah this is um, this who's is a, responsible i mean on the face of it this is a big topic this is a you know like, and it wasn't really treated with the amount of reverence and respect and, and seriousness gravitas that it, yeah like that i it noticed deserves. it kind of just it just kind of came and went you know real yeah. like it was in the news for a day and then people moved on and i was kind of like this is a big deal guys yeah uh i don't i think it's a huge deal um it's essentially like a huge part of gaming's legacy just gone yeah just dead so what we're talking about is the Entertainment Software Association announces that E3... Entertain- the, Electronic Entertainment Expo. Is over 
forever. It's done. It's never coming back again. It's gone. It's officially deceased. They have spent the last few years trying to bring it back, or at least they say they have, and every year they just couldn't get it together. They, since 2019, they have not been able, due to the pandemic in part, but also just the companies that were involved in the trade show have moved on, and they don't need E3 anymore. Right. So, on December 12th, the ESA updated the E3 website and posted to social media the following message. After more than two decades of E3, each one bigger than the last, the time has come to say goodbye. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> the yeah. president of ESA and CEO Stanley Pierre-Louis, Louis? I'm not sure if he's French, maybe he's, he does have Pierre-Louis. Pierre-Louis. I'm going to call him Pierre-Louis. Stanley Pierre-Louis. Yeah. <laughs> provided additional comments to the Wall Street Journal. He said, after more than two decades of hosting an event that has served as a central showcase for the U.S. and global video game industry, the Entertainment Software Association has decided to bring E3 to a close. We know the entire industry, players, and creators alike have a lot of passion for E3. We share the passion. We know it's difficult to say goodbye to such a beloved event, but it's the right thing to do given the new opportunities our industry has to reach fans and partners. He went on to cite that publishers have since gone on to create their own digital showcases and individual events as an exciting way to engage new audiences. Oh, boy. All right, I have a lot of things. That... So before we get into how some people have reacted to the news, uh, let's just kind of talk about E3 and what it is. So if you don't know, what you should know, is that E3 was this special time of year every mm -hmm. June where it was a week roughly. yeah it's basically a week when you include all the press conference days it was a week yeah if not longer um where the whole industry would come to los angeles from all around the yeah, world like sweden japan everywhere the whole world france canada south america the whole everywhere. worldwide game industry concentrated in los angeles yeah under one roof um and here they would announce they would basically let the secret out of the bag. Everything that they're ready to talk about that they've been working on over the past year, mm -hmm. everybody, every company just shared it openly with the with the press, with uh, you know, the world at large, as impressively as they could. Yeah, you know, um, and I mean, it was just insane. And this E three started back in the mid 90s i want to say yeah. they yeah, splintered I, off it was like 96 or something 95 like or 96 yeah. yeah they originally uh the video game side of things was presented at the consumer electronics show in las vegas which mm -hmm. is still ongoing known as ces um and they decided to branch off and just do one all about games and they chose los angeles as the home at the convention center next to staples center or crypto.com arena right excuse yeah. me as it's known today <laughs> yes yeah um and uh yeah it was just insane when we were kids and we'll talk about our memories of it later yeah. you would read about it in magazines like it was some kind this of this was a legendary event yeah. where only legends are allowed to attend yeah like if you weren't part of the industry right you could not go yeah you just couldn't go it was it was exclusive and our source of information was Nintendo Power. 
IGN. All the yeah, like, all the magazines of the nineties. This was this was middle websites. school for us. Yeah. Oh man, middle school was like the time yes. to be into E three. Like yeah. those were like the golden years of E three. Like two thousand through like two thousand three, four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and so needless to say, this is a big deal. That it's gone. Yeah. Um so yeah. Oh, yeah. Video Game Chronicle compiled remarks from some notable industry members responding to the news. And I just wanted to touch on three of those real quick. One of our favorites, Hideo Kojima, the creator of Metal Gear Solid and Death Stranding and the upcoming OD. OD. (laughs) Had this to say. He said, the end of E3 is sad news. I especially cherish the presentation of Metal Gear Solid 2 in 2000. Already 23 years ago, I'll never forget the standing ovation I received at the time. Without E3, Japanese creators and titles would not have made it to the global stage to this extent. E3 brought together creators and industry figures from all over the world, transcending borders and races. Mm-hmm. As a complete side note, I would want to say something. Last episode, we talked a lot about Hideo Kojima's <laughs> presentation uh-huh. at the Game Awards. And we spoke fairly negatively about him. I just want to emphasize that both Taylor and myself are huge fans of Hideo Kojima. We have multiple games signed by the guy. We've both met him on multiple occasions. Any opportunity I have. Like, we don't want to give out the the message that we don't respect Kojima. We absolutely do. Um, It's just, you know, we have our... We respect him so much that we love him, and therefore we we're, have a critical of him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. If he, if I didn't care about him, I wouldn't even be yeah, talking exactly. about him. Yeah, um, so he's got us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Corey Balrog, the director and writer of multiple God of War entries, said, "Was on the show, was on the floor showing the demo of the very first God of War so many years ago." And got to see how excited people were to play this new weird game starring the angry guy with chains. Truly changed my whole outlook. Both loved and hated this show. R.I.P.s to E3. Mm-hmm. So kind of put, kind of giving you a little hint that you know, like as great as the show was, it was also there's some negatives to it. As a developer, yeah. right? E3 was a big deal. Your yeah. show, your your game is getting seen for the first time. 100%. Indies and AAA alike. Right. Like, you know. Now back in the day when the first God of War came out, indie games weren't really quite a thing. True. Just yet. I I'm talking about more in the later yeah. years, but yeah. Um, um but we're seeing a pattern here. We're yeah. seeing a bunch of game designers and CEOs coming out and all saying basically the same thing. Right, but uh, what's a, a reason that developers, while well, E3 was stressful for developers, yeah. not only because they were showing their game to the public for the first time, but mm. in order to show your game at E3, you have to like make a demo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can speak to this yeah, a little please. bit. So uh, developers would go through a really crunch couple weeks of taking whatever vertical slice of their game that they had done right. and writing in just just complete Mickey Mouse patches and just tying off loose ends of, of scripts and stuff just for the sake of uh, broken stuff. Yeah. Like, not the way you would do, you know, anything legit. I mean, maybe it would be weeks. Maybe it would be two months. And then yeah. it's like, well, we could be making the game yeah, instead right. of making a demo right. during this time. Th- this whole, like, from start to finish, this whole endeavor 
of tying off the, you know, veins and vessels of your demo, mm-hmm. um, takes about a month to two months, maybe sometimes three months. I mean, as games got bigger, as, yeah, more time. Yeah, more time, exactly. More systems going on that need, like, some satisfier at the end mm-hmm. that's, you so know, the r- game write exist. some script that's only purpose is to satisfy a future feature that's looking for some data input or something. Right. You know, so this whole, like, just tying, literally tying with bandages together a demo was a huge ask of developers when it came time for E3. Yeah. Um, so I got one more quote I want to read, and I think he, this quote in particular puts it, really kind of puts into perspective the peak of E3, like what, what it was at its best, but also why it isn't a thing anymore. Um, this is from Mike Mika of Digital Eclipse. Uh, at its peak, E3 was like a world's fair, over the top, future facing, larger than life. Enormous in scale and decadence. Stadium-sized parties with $25 million price tags. There is no place for it in today's world, and there will definitely never be anything like it again. And that's kind of, it's kind of sobering to read that. Yeah. And he's right. It really was like the World's Fair of video games. Literally, it was like... When you see those booths in there... They are $25 million booths. Yeah, like, Nintendo's especially. Oh my god, the last few years, Nintendo like would convert a huge part of the show floor into another world, effectively. Yeah, like literally a, a ruined temple yeah. inside. When we did the Breath of the Wild demo in 2017, I think mm-hmm. it was. Or no, maybe it was, tw- it was 2016. It was the year before Breath of the Wild came out. Like, we're waiting in this line outside, and then you literally go into this cave, which is like a theater mm-hmm. inside the cave, and then you sit down. With and, a screen, yeah. and it shows you, you, you how to play. Right. And, and then yeah. you walk through the end of the cave. Right. Well, the cave, like, opens up, like like a rock, like right. the rock in front of the cave where Jesus was dead. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you go in, and then you're just, like, transported to, like, this world. I mean, there's, like fake grass there's these like huge like watchtowers with like monsters mm. on top of them like uh, life-size one-to-one scale big old arch windows and stuff yeah. and stone with like the ceiling caved in it, just, it was the, like the craziest thing you've yeah. ever seen indoors um and you know other booths went crazy too but no one no, one no like i've never though. seen anything like that in maybe life. in the years before we were going there was more of that from other people but yeah possibly i mean if you think about it from the perspective of early e3 and the years before we started going the ambition would have been different for publishers and developers it would have been to appeal to and impress the hell out of the media the media as well as retailers who yeah. are looking to figuring out what products to business partners for their in store. general yeah. you know that could be manufacturers in some yeah. cases um and so uh who we're we're going to look now at who or what killed E3 um so for this segment we're going to kind of we're going to get a little speculative. We're going to kind of use our educated opinions and uh, and break down what we think happened to E3 and why it's no more. 
Um, now, I personally think, or I should say, I should say we, we, we came to a consensus on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think there's sort of three, three things that sort of led to uh, the downfall of E3. And they're not necessarily in a particular order. But we're going to talk about COVID having an impact on E3. The imp- on an impact on E3's demise, yeah. so to say. And Nintendo directly <laughs> having yeah. an impact. No, no, Nintendo was absolutely a factor. And the ESA themselves, the people who put on the show, the things, the mistakes that they made. Right, and the decisions that they made and the sort of, uh, I don't know, it felt, not to get into it now, but it felt like they were casting multiple nets. Exactly. They were trying to figure out what do we do here to stay relevant. Right. Um, so let's start with COVID. In in 2020, E3 was set to take place from June 9th to June 11th. And by all accounts, it was seemingly going to go off. You know, there was no, uh, you know, Sony wasn't going to be there. We knew that already. But mm-hmm. everybody else was seemingly on board. Uh, but as we all know, um, there was a, a bit of a, a bit of an issue in early 2020 that caused all major events to close down. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, um, I want to mention that, like I like we said, E3 was kind of having a bit of an identity crisis, uh, but their attendance was still strong. They still had like sixty thousand people in twenty nineteen. Right. So I mean, even if only fifty thousand people showed up for twenty twenty, that still would have been a big show. Right. Um, so it, you know, it still would have continued had it not been for the pandemic. But I think a lot of people, publishers, and the ESA themselves were able to use uh, COVID as a bit of a scapegoat to yeah. get out of things going forward. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we saw that from Tommy Tallarico, same behavior. He used the pandemic and the COVID as an excuse for why the parts for the Amico couldn't yeah, make it to the just States. Just constantly so using I, the pandemic. This is not exclusive. We know that this is a thing. Oh, yeah. Everybody. Everybody in every industry was saying, oh, global supply chain issues. Exactly. Which, to some extent, there was. But... For people, even though there was a problem with, like, the global supply chain, right? some people weren't having a problem with their supply chain. They yeah. probably didn't even have a supply chain, right. but they used that yeah, wonderful yeah. excuse they, to they get could, out of yeah, anything. It was, it was a great golden yeah. ticket. Great golden ticket. And so events similar to E3, like San Diego Comic-Con, they were also canceled for that year. Like, no big, huge, thousands and thousands of people events were taking place that year. Understandable that E3 canceled. Mm-hmm. Now, 2021 rolls... Oh, sorry. In 2020, um, the ESA did try to rally the industry around a digital version of E3. But they it was, like, very uncertain until the last second whether it was going to happen or not. But ultimately, it didn't happen. They couldn't get enough of the publishers. I think at the time, most of the industry was still transitioning to, like, figuring out how do we do this remotely. Um so there there just wasn't a way people weren't prepared to have a showcase in time for E3 June 2020. Right, exactly. And and like I like we described before the preparations that developers and publishers need yeah. to take to get ready for this kind of thing months, months. you know. So that yeah. just there wasn't a, you yeah. Can't, yeah, everyone was be, at home. Has to be extremely definitive. Yeah. You can't just have some floating date. Nope. So unless anybody had stuff that they already had ready previously, 
And from what I'm sure there was some stuff that was probably ready to show in time. Right. But it just wasn't enough to justify, like, having a big event. Right. So publishers... And, and not to mention the work involved in getting prepared for E3. Mm-hmm. The price to attend oh, as, yeah. as a showcaser. Oh, yeah. Millions of dollars yeah. to buy floor space. Yeah, even just, like, a, a couple, like, ten square feet. Oh, yeah. You Thousands. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, the booths that Nintendo had... The, oh, the floor space, multiple millions. The money they spent on it, yeah, yeah, easily. Um, so in 2021, uh, E3 declined to host an event that year, uh, which was, I guess, still understandable. A lot of big in-person events still hadn't quite returned yet. Um, things were starting to get a little more back to normal. Um, if I mean I could be wrong here, but if I remember right, they were putting in some kind, some degree of effort to try to get together the the right amount of people to, you know. Yeah. Publisher. Well, so in twenty twenty one, they didn't do an in person event, but there was a digital E three. Right. Basically, all the main major players, excluding Sony, uh, agreed to sort of have a digital E three together, where they all kind of linked and timed up their press conferences to all sort of happen during that one magical week of the year. Right. During where where E3 would normally be. Right. So we had companies like Ubisoft, Gearbox, Microsoft, Bethesda, Capcom, Square Enix, Nintendo. They all participated. There was a few more too, but I didn't write them all down. Yeah. Um, so, okay, most people... So in late 2021... I should mention, I mentioned Comic-Con earlier. Mm -hmm. They didn't have an event in 2020. They didn't have an event when they normally had an event in 2021. They did one late in the year in November, like right after Thanksgiving. Okay, well that still counts. Yeah, so they were were dabbling with doing in-person events again. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, I mean, could E3 have delayed yeah, d- E3? Yeah, done like a fall E3 right. or something, you know. Maybe, maybe they could have gotten away with that. But uh, maybe the signs were already kind of there that developers weren't comfortable being around people. Yeah. You know, there's a whole lot of factors and feelings to consider when you're trying to put together something like this with multiple parties involved. Yeah. From multiple countries. Yep. Um, And, you know, we got to remember Japan was like locked down. Right. Like they didn't start letting people in until last year. Yeah. Um, Like late last year, like October of 2022. Right. Well, they are next door to the place of origin. That's so I, true. I do understand there. Oh, so. yeah. Um, and so in 2022 rolls around and r- immediately at the beginning of the year, the ESA announces that we won't be doing uh, E3 this year. Mm-hmm. And they say it's, and I quote, due to the ongoing health risks surrounding COVID-19 and its potential impact on the safety of exhibitors and attendees so this is starting to come across as a little bit of an excuse yeah so when we come to 2022 it's there is no excuse like everyone else is up and running i mean maybe not in january no like e3's in june yeah there's still five months to figure this out right and while i don't think that COVID is the real reason. Mm-hmm. That's what they said. That right. was their yeah, excuse. Yeah, of course, it wasn't. There's no, there's no question in my mind that this was about COVID. Yeah, um, it wasn't I, about COVID. Right. Uh, um, I worked for Macy's 
when this all went down mm-hmm. with the pandemic, I was out of work for two weeks and then I was back to work. Right. The, we're talking like two and a half years. Yeah. And they can't figure it out. And they can't out. figure it out. They, I'm sure much like the previous year, they had probably heard from their partners that normally exhibited E3 saying, oh no, COVID. Right. And I wouldn't surprise me if they hit up their partners for 2022 and their partners are like, hmm, COVID. Yeah. But even their partners were probably just using that as an excuse to the ESA to it's, not want to participate any longer. Yeah. It's possible that the ESA's, you know, extended contacts and stuff used the same excuse. Yeah. I still blame the ESA. <laughs> like, And we'll get into why the ESA is plays a big role in the, yeah. the demise of the show. Um, so a lot of people were speculating that this cancellation seemed a bit premature, given that E3 wouldn't be held for another five months. Most large-scale events were already scheduled to take place later that year. Um, so, I mean, it's it's our theory that they already knew they couldn't convince publishers, or publishers mm-hmm. had already told them they wouldn't participate. Right. And so they just chose to use COVID as a scapegoat right. to get out of it. Um, and they announced it so early in the year that maybe COVID was still concerning because maybe we were coming out of like a... It all makes sense. A wave. It makes sense why they did this in January. If they had already decided that, that, that COVID was going to be their excuse, they needed to make that announcement in January because COVID was still more of a concern than it was later down the road. Exactly. So uh, this year, they did try to do E3 again. They didn't really have COVID as an excuse anymore. Mm-hmm. They were partnering with the same group of people that do PAX West. Mm-hmm. Or PAX, the, all the PAX events, I should say. Right. I think they're called Read Pop. Um, and uh, they had solicited people from the industry to sign up. They had opened up, uh, you know, like publisher or uh, publishers and exhibitors could get floor space. Um, they opened up applications for attendees. Uh, just industry attendees. They didn't never. They never opened up the gamer thing mm-hmm. because it didn't get far enough. Like, after a few weeks of opening up uh, registration to people, mm-hmm. they saw the writing on the wall. There was no, there wasn't anything. So I think it was in. I think maybe they opened it up in March or April of this year, like uh, applications, and by. I think late April or early May, they had announced to everyone that uh, it wouldn't be happening this year due to essentially not enough interest. Right. And I had actually applied for this, Mm -hmm. not as part of Studio Ravenheart, but as a library manager. Yeah. I I talked about how like, oh, you know, I have buying power and I want to, you know, look into, I I was seriously considering like, I have at various points considered getting like VR stuff for the mm-hmm. library. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it would, you know, like, hey, you know, I could go see what's new with, you know, VR and PlayStation VR is coming out and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And so it seemed like I was actually going to get in because when they sent me the notice that it was canceled, they were like, oh, thank you for, you know, wanting to attend the show. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, not happening. Yeah. That's. I just relied on them contacting me right. all the time, every year because of my yeah. status. But um, And then, uh, so they announced that they would try again next year, being right. 2023. Or, sorry, 2024. Okay. Uh, and then a few months ago, back in September, they announced that they were parting ways with Reed Pop. 
mm-hmm. company who tried to help them make the event happen this year. Right. And so that wasn't a good sign. But yeah. they still held to their guns and said, we're still working on bringing E3 back. But, you know, three months later, yeah. they just... Some, some hope to hang <laughs> yeah, on to, right? I know. It, it, that's what it was. It was getting old. Like these like messages of like, oh, next year we're going to do it. Next right. year we're going to do right. it. Um, and they just, uh, they never quite did do it. This is the definition of going out with a whimper, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, it, and it sucks. Yeah. We couldn't have some grand final E3. Yeah, like, know? okay, guys, one last time. Right. Let's go hard. Let's make it exciting. Yeah. Sony. That's get, the way to Get do your it. ass back in here, if, Sony. If you know that your thing is going to end, do that. Don't try to, you know, just kick the can. Just do that. Just say, one final one, grand finale, everybody in. Isn't that kind of crazy, though? We were at the last E3. Yeah, we were. Uh, I mean, didn't feel like the last E3 because we thought we were going to be at the one next year. We thought we'd be going for the next 20 years. Yeah. But kind of a cool little badge of... Sure. Really? Yeah. See, I don't know. I think it's pretty awesome that... I mean, not awesome. It sucks. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm glad I was there. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I don't think I... I don't... I wasn't... You know, I would. I'm obviously glad I was there. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to not be there. Yeah. But it's still just. I don't know. It didn't feel. I don't know. If it like if the banner out front said the last E3. Thanks for the memories. You know, yeah. Like that would be different. Yeah. I would have. I would have been celebrating that. Yeah. Would have been going all yeah. out. Yeah. Would have been hitting that on show floor bar yeah a lot more often yeah it would have been after parties <laughs> oh yeah go to all of them we've been to a couple after parties. we, we have one. yeah we'll have to talk about that in our little memory segment yeah. in the minute in there were minutes. actually a lot of after parties going on yeah in downtown la um let's take a quick break okay yeah sounds good all right so we're back from our break but we're gonna be talking about nintendo's contribution to the demise of e3 and um if you remember back in the day, back in 2011, uh, Nintendo started doing their own Nintendo Directs, and that was kind of the beginning of Nintendo's exit, in a way, uh, from E3. Yeah, now, Nintendo continued, was always a supporter of E3 up until the end. Yeah, 100%. And often, maybe the biggest supporter of E3, 100%. we should mention. So that, you might be wondering, well... Why would Nintendo be the cause of E3's demise if they were always there and always present? Mm-hmm. But but like Rick says, we we got to go back to 2011 and look at when they they first debuted the very first Nintendo Direct. Yeah. So what's a Nintendo Direct? It, it was the precursor, right? Well, I mean, like let's define a Nintendo Direct for people. Right. So it started out with Iwata, right? Um, I mean, yeah, originally Nintendo's president at the time, Satoru Iwata, would present new information about upcoming Nintendo games and, uh, just general hardware information, software information, you name it, it was in there. Um, Nintendo basically said, we're done waiting until June to start talking about what we're doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, in 2012, Nintendo still participated in E3, 
and they would participate with their final live, uh, what do you call it? A press conference. Right. So press conferences are a big part of E3. And the days leading up to the actual trade show, usually all the major publishers have a live in-person press conference. And Nintendo is no exception to this. Mm -hmm. Until E3 2013. Mm -hmm. That was the year that Nintendo decided we're no longer doing a press conference. We're just going to pre-record... a digital broadcast, whether it be a Nintendo Direct or like whatever they wanted to call it at the time, and then they would just pl- essentially hit play on a live stream, and everyone would watch it from a computer. Yeah. Now people were skeptical. I remember people being like, "What? How could Nintendo, you know, back out of hosting a press conference? Do they really think people are going to tune in to a live stream?" And mm-hmm. it turns out that. They would be more than willing to do that. They might have been a year or two ahead of themselves. Oh, they were. Yeah. But I, ultimately, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the fervor around Nintendo Directs today, mm-hmm. um, it's unlike anything else. It is like every Nintendo Direct has like an E3 like fervor yeah. around it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So it's like they I get. Mean, State of Play has that fervor today. A little bit. A little mm-hmm. bit. Come on. Come on. Agree. I wouldn't me. say. I mean. When you look at the viewership numbers, State of Play... Okay, you're comparing it to Nintendo Direct. But I I think just within the PlayStation ecosystem, State of Play has that. Like, that is the E3 for PlayStation players. I mean, it's as close as they get. I don't don't know what it is. It just doesn't excite me as much as a Nintendo Direct. And that might be a personal bias. Uh, Sure. Um, I think that... I will say this about State of Play... They have way fewer games than Nintendo's Direct. Oh, definitely. 100%. Especially when it comes to, like, first-party stuff. Yes. When it's first-party I mean, you're lucky to get one first-party game featured in a state of play. Right. Like, Sony's just in a weird place right now. I mean, that's besides the point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this digital broadcast format has become the norm today in 2023. I mean, really starting in, like, 2019, 2020 even especially in 2020, Mm -hmm. 2021, that's when everyone was just doing digital broadcasts for everything. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's not just Nintendo and Sony. It's Microsoft, Microsoft, Ubisoft, E3 or EA. They did their own. Yeah. They do their own presentation all the way down the chain to like limited run doing their own. And then who was that other publisher that I'm thinking of? Devolver Digital. That's it. Yeah, Devolver Digital. Yeah, Devolver Digital does this thing called the Devolver Direct. Basically as like a parody of Nintendo Direct. But they've gotten so crazy and like avant-garde mm-hmm. with their presentations. They have like a like a running storyline through each year's like mm-hmm. like it connects to the previous year and there's like this like meta story going on in the background. They have like skits and stuff or whatever. Yeah, there's like it's a, there's a huge skit factor to it. They've like got actors doing the whole entire that's show. That's crazy. And I just I like that. That's that's innovative. It, it's weird and it's fun. Uh and it like it usually gets really gory and violent. Mm-hmm. Um it's different yeah um and devolver yeah they they make they publish interesting games so i I do like them a lot Mm -hmm. um and their show just being like this very tongue-in-cheek kind of silly 
crazy thing is cool. I mean, Limited Run, I think, kind of took inspiration from Devolver mm-hmm. with their kind of silly... Uh, they they do it, like, on a digital stage where they've, like, superimposed, like, people onto, like, a virtual stage. And mm-hmm. they, they do, you know, they're, it's interesting, too. I like watching Limited Runs yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they they actually like I think they were the only person this year to kind of like connect their their press conference to like being an E three esque press conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they call it like LRG three or something like that every year. Gotcha. Yeah. Just as a little homage. Essentially, yeah. Um, we're skipping a lot. <laughs> a yeah, lot of you started off by skipping I'm like, the beginning, so then we just let's, let's all go around. back a little bit. Um, you said that, uh, uh, instead of hosting a live stage event, Nintendo decided that they would periodically drop these pre-recorded and tightly controlled videos, usually live streamed. And yeah, so we're talking about Nintendo Direct, but, but it didn't start out as Nintendo Direct. No, I don't think the first one at E3 2012 was a Nintendo Direct. It was just like a digital presentation. Mm-hmm. But the the whole point of them doing this, why they started to do it originally, was because, you know, at these live stage events, very often they would do like a live demo and something would go wrong. The mm-hmm. game would crash Someone would go somewhere where they weren't supposed to go right. yet. And a lot of this can be contributed to the motion controls of well, the motion Wii. controls. I mean, dodgy builds of games that were hastily pieced right, together right. right before the show. A lot of wireless connection going on. Yeah. I remember one year they told everyone to turn their phones off or something. Yeah, like it was at, I think, the year they were doing Epic Mickey at Nintendo's That's That's conference. It, yeah. Miyamoto and Warren Spector were on stage. And they were both having trouble with the controls with the Wii, and it it looked embarrassing, you know, yeah. that they couldn't get that the game wasn't running correctly. Well, but E3 is full of embarrassing on stage oh, experiences. Yeah. Um, and so it just Nintendo was like, this way we control the narrative. No one's saying the demo went awry. Right. It, like everything just looks flawless and perfect. Not everything works live. No, not it doesn't. Yeah, and they—I think they were onto something here. Like from a smart perspective, you know. And then they don't have to spend how much money renting out a giant theater. They don't have mm-hmm. to do that. They don't have to invite press, put them up, and provide refreshments and beverages and do all that stuff. So they're saving a ton of money by doing it this way. Yep. And they're controlling the narrative, their own narrative, which right. is probably what you want if you're putting, you know, you're trying to advertise a product. You don't want it to look like a mess on right. stage. Right. And they have their online store for merch and stuff like that, which yeah. is also part of E3, but, you know, they have that themselves covered that way too. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, in 2013, that's when they did their first E3 digital event. Uh, now, Nintendo was still there on the show floor from 2013 all the way up until the last year. So, it's not like Nintendo, like, wasn't interested in E3. They just weren't doing the press conference anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but before too long, you know, I think other publishers were starting to wonder, like, hey, maybe this is maybe this is the way forward. Um, you know, why, why, should they, why should they prop up E3? You know, what is E3 doing for them? you know, anymore. Like who's, who's benefiting from this? 
E3 really mattered when magazines were the common right. way That's to... how information got disseminated. Yeah, exactly. But now if you have a digital event, people can just watch it for themselves. They don't need it. I mean, we're on a podcast yeah. <laughs> regurgitating, you know, things that are happening in the industry, but right. they don't need uh they don't need the podcast anymore. Yeah. They don't, yeah, they don't or, need, sorry, they don't need they, they don't, don't even, need the magazines anymore. They don't even need YouTubers, etc. No. That's all just like symptomatic right. of their Nintendo Direct release. Yeah. Um and so when as we've seen when E three asked people to come back after the pand you know, twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, publishers were like, No. Well, yeah. we don't need you anymore. Yeah, basically, yeah. Which leads us to our final point about what what put the nail in the coffin of E3. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the ESA. Entertainment Software Associ- Association themselves, yeah, they, the ESA. They made some... I, I, I don't... It's hard to know exactly where their mind was at, mm-hmm. you know? But I will say that it seemed to me that they were casting just multiple nets... Trying to get the public involved while also trying to appeal back to the publishers yeah. that they originally had. While trying to appeal to the media. While trying to just constant, you know, doing separate events and stuff off-site. You know, yeah. they, they were just, they didn't know what... I think they were just trying to cast multiple nets. Yeah. And, you know... So let's, let's break it down one year at a time. All right. Starting with 2015. Um... Shortly before and during E3 2015, the ESA provided their exhibiting partners at the show. They spread across all of them 5,000 E3 badges for those partners to distribute to fans. Mm -hmm. And it was like a really last minute thing. I remember seeing like Exceed and like other publishers on Twitter like saying like, hey, fill out this form and we'll send you uh, an E3 badge. Yeah. Um, and it was, like, really confusing. People were like, what's going on? Like, I knew people that didn't have a way to get in that year. And they, they ended up getting in through one of these. Pre- they were, like, so easy to get because right. it was so unexpected. Yeah. No one was like, hey, on this day, we're going to give away three free E3 badges. It was, like, a day before the event. Hey, there's a bunch of badges to give away. Yeah. So this was the ESA. It's almost like they wanted to fill their hole. Like, they, they wanted to fill their. I mean, it's only 5,000 badges. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. It's not an insignificant amount. Right. But, uh... I just, I feel like maybe the ESA felt, well, these are record low numbers, and... Yeah, I don't have those numbers in front of me to know. No, we're not speaking by fact, but, like, the, what I perceive is that, you know, the ESA could have been, you know, looking at their numbers. Yeah, I remember a PlayStation experience in Vegas. We paid to go to that event. Um, there's the very first PlayStation experience in 2014 mm-hmm. and I remember it didn't sell out. And so in the, like the day or two before Sony started giving it, like people on like that work for Sony on Twitter, they all of a sudden started giving out free codes to register for the event. Yep. But at that point you basically had to be in the Vegas area. Yeah. So if you were like a Vegas local who hadn't already bought a badge uh, or a ticket to the show, they were just giving out free tickets just to, like, give them all out. Yeah. Yeah. To fill, so, I mean, yeah. we had already paid, like, 80 bucks or something like that right. to go. Right. But it, it's, like, 
we have all these leftover badges, right? We'll benefit more from people just being there than not being there, right? Yeah. So yeah, it very well could have been it. I look at it as more of a as the ESA sort of experimenting with getting the public involved, mm-hmm. getting them on the floor for the very first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be the... like truly mixing in fans as well as industry people mm-hmm. and retailers, all just mingling together for the first time. Right. This would be the inception of that. Yeah. And, and then later we see the so, gamer bad. Yes, we're getting there. But first, we got to go to 2016. So instead of allowing fans into the event, E3 put together a public event nearby. I'm pretty sure it was at LA Live. And it was hosted by uh, with a small sampling of games. But there was nothing really noteworthy. I think there were like some... Like Warner Brothers had a booth there, Warner Brothers Games. And I think like they had like some Lego Harry Potter stuff or something yeah. like that. Um, I just remember you and I got tickets to it and we walked through it in like yeah, five it, minutes. It was a very short experience. Yeah, I mean we could have spent time, but we had tickets yeah. to the actual show, right. so it was just sort of like a, we walked through it out yeah. of curiosity. Um, and we, I, don't, I remember coming away unimpressed and being like, okay, like yeah. I mean the games themselves felt very like ea like yeah they were like store demos you know like it wasn't like you were getting a taste of e3 right by coming to this little event it was like you said lego some sports games maybe Maybe. yeah i don't totally remember everything that was there but uh yeah it definitely wasn't impressive to me um we got free doritos though we did we did get no that was a different event Oh, this wasn't the one sponsored by Doritos? No, okay. that was something else. Okay. That was like an after party. That was like some E3. Like they described it as like some kind of after party or something like that. Okay. Um, no, this was just like... I remember we went and there were like families and stuff at this E3 live thing. Right, yeah. Like, this it, this was very... very I mean, obviously, the point was to be open to the public. Yeah, they wanted people just to walk up and like and check it out. if you looked at the whole thing going on from a distance, it looked interesting. Yeah. They had big screens. They had crazy structures. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to know what was going on. Right. Um, and I should mention that in 2016, Electronic Arts, known as EA mostly, decided that they would not they would not take part in E3 that year. Mm-hmm. They were the first of the major publishers to drop out of E3 completely. Yeah. Um, that instead they hosted their own separate event nearby, uh, and you could go and check that out. Um, but yeah, they were no longer a part of the show. I mean, they they still kind of, uh, what do you call it? Well, you they leached off of E three, yeah, with their own event. But yeah, they were done paying whatever price the ESA was asking people to pay. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to twenty seventeen. This is where, for the very first time, E three sold badges to the general public. Fifteen. At least 15,000 badges were sold. Yeah. This led to the show being extra crowded with lines going out of control. I think this was the year we were trying to get into the the Persona artist, mm-hmm. the signing. Yep. I don't know if you remember how insane that was. Uh, yep. 
There I was do. like this little opening yeah, in I like still, a booth. It's in my closet. Yeah. I have this and one. we had to fight our way into it yeah. practically. Yeah. Uh, it was just absolutely bonkers. It was like a whole different Beast. ecosystem yeah. going on with gamers. So safety started to become a concern as like the lines were getting out of control. People were unruly. Another thing that I want to mention about the gamer pass and that whole, Mm -hmm. you know, addition to E3, a lot of streamers, like at that time, even Mm -hmm. a lot of streamers, a lot of people with their selfie sticks, having that up in front of their face. Yeah. They were inviting, not just journalists. Now they were inviting influencers. Right. And I think a lot of the low end of the influencers didn't get an industry pass. They got the gamer pass. Yeah, the low end ones, for sure. Like, I know... But but they were all streaming. Yeah. All of them were streaming, you know. So, yeah, you had kind of... uh, It's just people walking around with the selfie sticks and... Yeah. I, I don't know. That stood out to me as something that was uncomfortable, you know. Just, I don't know. Um, so then we jump to 2018. This is, E3 once again sells another, presumably about 15,000 badges. Attendance was like, I want to say slightly lower compared to 2017, but only by like 500 or so. I did look at the numbers for some of these years. And, uh, the same exact concerns from 2017 were there. The crowding was bad. Um, they did try to address it a little bit though. For the first three hours of, I think, the first two days of E3, those hours were restricted to being industry-only hours. Mm -hmm. So if you had uh, an industry pass, you essentially just got to go into the hall three hours before the the gamers were let loose. So it was a good time to try to take care of as much stuff as you could and then get out of there before yeah. the gamers got in. Yeah. Because once they got in, it was just a mess. You, yeah, it was shoulder to shoulder yeah. moving around. Uh, yeah, some of the booths. Like, you just... Yeah, yeah. and like... If uh, the, in any, between booths, in the little hallways. Yeah. Um, Like, if there were giveaways or things like that at certain booths, yeah. like, it was just so much worse than it was yeah. in years prior. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just made for a, a worse experience. Definitely. Um... Now, in 2019, one of the big three, that's being Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, Sony pulled out of E3. Mm -hmm. They did not have a booth. They did not have any kind of press conference or live stream. Um, And it made for the first time in the show's 25-year history that Sony didn't have a presence. Right. It didn't do much to attendance. It was only down a little bit. Um, But... If you were there, you felt their absence because yeah. now the the five thousand people who would have been at Sony's booth at any given time mm-hmm. are now everywhere else in the place. Yeah. So now there's even a bigger presence of uh, people everywhere. Yeah, um, the Sony booth was never as like visually extravagant as the Nintendo booth. But it was a big part of the floor. Like, they had a big area. It it varied from year to year how they did it. I remember there were some years where you had to, like, reserve a time slot with the PlayStation Experience app. Mm -hmm. Where you would, like... I remember You'd go in, like, these different theater rooms to do things. Yeah, they they built, like, these little structures or kind of big structures Uh within their space. Uh What was that one game? 
the last day or something like that. It was like, I don't remember what it was called. Uh, Some zombie apocalypse. Okay. Oh, um, the one where you're riding motorcycles and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that one. Um, oh, wow. That kind of... I can't remember. Uh, it was made by Ben Studios, the people who made Siphon Filter. Yeah. I can remember that. Anyways, I just remember the structure they built for that demo. Yeah. And that was like a 30-minute demo or something. Yeah. But, you know, they... That was the difference between the Sony area and the, the Nintendo area. Nintendo's area would be dominated by one specific game, mm -hmm. and it would just be extravagant visual representations for that game. Sony would have these big theaters, you know, scattered throughout their place, yeah, and then a bunch of, like, demo stations. I remember they also had... Um... I think in the last year or two they were there, they did, they had like a big stage where they would have like developers come up and do interviews that they would then broadcast on like their Twitch or YouTube or something like that for PlayStation. Mm -hmm. Trying to sort of mimic Nintendo's treehouse. Yeah, kind of yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, it was, I remember it being a really big stage though, like unnecessarily big, but um, <laughs> I was able to get a few uh, because at E3, you could literally look at these like developer calendars or like you know the 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 live stream schedule for the day like oh this is going to be this game this is going to be that game this is going to be this game and then you could literally just like bring your copy of the game it's like all right i know at this time these developers are going to be here so right when they walked off stage i'd get them to mm -hmm. sign my game um so sean Layden, the at time president of worldwide studios for sony playstation uh, had this to say about why Sony pulled out effectively. Uh, his words are, so the trade show E3 became a trade show without a lot of trade activity. The world has changed, but E3 hasn't necessarily changed with it. We are progressing the conversation about how do we transform E3 to be more relevant. Can E3 transition more into a fan festival of gaming where we don't gather there to drop the new bomb? Meaning like, the new big hits and right. like exciting announcements. Can it just be a celebration of games and have panels where we bring game developers closer to fans? Right, and I think Sean Layton is spot on with the direction they should have taken. So essentially turning it into like San Diego Comic-Con Well, Renaissance Fair of the games industry. Okay. You know, sort of like... I mean, to me, that sounds more like Comic-Con than a Ren Fair. I guess so. Because uh, Comic-Con is like where you have panels. And, you know, there is a show floor where, like... Right. The but there's not necessarily, like, announcements, per se. You're just, like, getting to interact I don't think and ask questions. To, I don't think... I, I don't know. I don't get that from Sean Layden's statement. I don't think panels in a full-blown convention is what he's referring to. Well, he just said, can't it just be a celebration of games and have panels where we bring game developers okay, closer to fans? He didn't literally say panels. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. No, no, we don't need another one of those. Um, I mean, I've always... I would love for there to be a Comic-Con of video games. PAX kind of has that. They do have panels... Mm -hmm. I feel like there's not nearly as many of them as there are. I, for... I feel like PAX's panels, a lot of them are tangentially related to video games. Yeah, sometimes and... like, this streamer is here, right. you know, talking about streaming. Right. Um, I mean, Something more focused. But we also have Gamescom. We also have uh, develop GDC. Right. You know, those are... I mean, GDC is only 
for like developers, developers. Yeah. and the cost to get in is like yeah, a thousand dollars thousands of dollars because if you can include the trip up to oh wherever. just the pass is like a thousand dollars yeah i know um multiple thousands yeah I, in my opinion if you spend on hotel and you spend on oh, gas yeah. in san francisco hotels like five hundred dollars a yeah. night so i mean yeah gdc is a big expense it is for developers but yeah but in it in has the, US, the kind of focus i'd like to see of something like this. right i mean it's a it's a conference it's a it's a it's a conference it's right. a work conference right. gdc is yes. yeah it's priced high because I guess they don't want everybody going. Yeah, yeah, they want Basically, it to be to keep out the riffraff. Yeah, which I understand. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, aside from GDC, which isn't really for the public or even smaller developers, unless you have a lot of expendable income, which right. most independent most, developers yeah. most, don't have. Most gamers definitely don't. Uh, I mean, and even like indie devs, a lot of them don't have it. Like true yeah. indie devs, hundred percent. Like they don't even have money to pay rent. I've never gone to. I've been invited every yeah. year, like with emails and stuff. Yeah, and never gone because it's too expensive. So that leaves now the United States basically without uh, a big games conference. I, I really don't count packs. Now that I think about it, I've even been offered discounts on the ticket yeah. price and still haven't gone. I mean, PAX is more low-key yeah. than, like, it's really not a place where announcements happen. I would I would be open to going to PAX next year if you were. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> um, all right. That's a development. Um... So, yeah, nobody knew at the time that the 2053 and 2019 would be the final in-person E3. Mm -hmm. You know, so we can only wonder, would E3 have found a way to evolve? Was turning the event into a fan event the right path? We'll just, we'll never know. Yeah. It's over. It's done. Yeah. It went out with, I mean, E3 2019 was a great year. Yeah. It was a good year. Oh, yeah. So it's like, E3 2019 wasn't really a It whimper. didn't feel lacking. It didn't feel like a mall that's going out of business. Yeah, even it, though Sony wasn't there, we were plenty busy. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. All four halls were filled. Yeah. And of the LA Convention Center. And it didn't feel like anything was going away. It felt like this, you know, this is lively. You know, when you walk into a mall that's going out of business and every yeah. one of every three booths are closed down, yeah. you know something's off but this didn't feel like that so you know what what can we where's the esa to blame here i mean like ultimately their their indecisiveness on how to handle it what to do mm -hmm. the sort of like oh we're gonna invite fans but we're not gonna tell our partners we're gonna do that and now our partners are like well is this a fan show right is this a trade conference right like it's it just doesn't is this for the industry you can't just take an industry event that's exclusive for the media and developers and publishers, manufacturers, etc., vendors, and just turn it into a public event. Right. Like, and not expect something to, you know, pop. Exactly. You know, something's going to go wrong like, there. The people who were exhibiting there were exhibiting for the industry. Yes. They weren't exhibiting for fans. Like, I remember. I, I played a certain demo. I think it was the original Mario Maker demo at the Nintendo booth. And I 
because I had an industry badge, um, the lady was like, oh, you get to play as long as you like. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, if you, yeah, if you have the gamer badge, it's like 10 minutes or something like that. Yeah. But she was like, you can go as long as you'd like. Right. So the intentions and the direction of the ESA was different from those showcasing exactly. the games. And that's crazy. Like, that doesn't work as a, you know, from a direction standpoint. Yep. I mean, the, the partners, at, their part, the ESA's partners at E3 were just beginning to realize that their money was either better spent elsewhere or just not at all. They There are more, like, uh, financially incentive ways of marketing to the public yeah. than doing a trade show exactly. like E3. Yeah. Um, that was expensive, and that was, you know, what that got you was marketing to the media and the industry. Um, it was, like, E3, like you said at the beginning of the episode, E3 spun off of CES. Yep. Which was which is a tech, like, sh- like yep. trade show. Yep. And yeah, like bringing in the gamer passes was is the opposite. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, I mean, maybe maybe they did need to turn E three into that kind of a show. Yeah, they needed to do something because but trying to like make it happen alongside like. What was the plan to just slowly sell more and more gamer passes and then just, like, have the industry side kind of go away? Right. Like, was that their plan? Uh, I, it's, yeah. I think they were trying to maybe bring the two together. Yeah. And maybe have a show that, and that would have been unique if it were, were to work out, but, like, having the public alongside the industry. Yeah. But that, that's not going to work out. Like, it thinking about it for two seconds will tell you that that's just not there's conflict of interest between the public and the industry yeah you know like and then i'm sure some of the people were like well we can't have you know our vips walking around with you know yeah we can't have shigeru miyamoto just walking through you know uh, with you know The general public. Taylor's going to find them. Taylor's going to ask for a signature. All all the freaking streamers and stuff are going to find them. I'm here with Shigeru Miyamoto. All the Instagrammers and stuff, you know. Um, Alright, so now that we've examined why E3's dead. Yeah, looking back, like after, I'm glad we went through this because I can see some things that I didn't see before. Okay. Um, we all learned something today. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense now why this didn't work out. What they should have done, and I guess I'm going to contradict Sean Layden here, um, in my opinion, was just have... Honestly, their online ambitions might have been their best route. If they really did want to like take all their focus, all their investment, put it into an online experience... Like, I'm talking bigger than Twitch. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, this is E3. You know, maybe it's the whole month of June. I don't know. But have it just be an online experience. You can, ha- that is the only way you can have your streamers and your general public participating alongside industry. Well, here's something we know that they were going to do in 2020. So if the E3 in 2020 would have gone off, one of the, or I think two of the days, we're going to be, I think they were going to put it into a four-day event or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think one or two of the days were going to be industry only the whole entire yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next 
the last day or the second or in the second to last day, I, I can't remember exactly, were going to be everyone. You're right. So essentially, they could have had the kind of normal E3 where it's just industry people get all the major announcements, all the interviews out of the way, and then you let the the people who bought you know public tickets come in. All the VIPs and everybody important is already gone yeah. away from the show floor. Right. And then you just, since you already have the demo set up, yeah. then let the public get involved. And and their structure with that indicates to me that they were kind of trying to do a side-by-side yeah. thing while also noticing the limitations. Right. Like two events in one, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I mean... I remember I was so excited when they said, oh, we're going to do industry-only days this year. Yeah. I was like... Finally, because they yeah. used to send feedback forms. Yeah. And every year I would be like, we need industry only days, industry only days. Let's talk about the feedback factor okay. of E3 for a minute. I think, I feel like they they did listen. It's not like they didn't listen. Mm-hmm. They did try to hear as best they could what people yeah. thought. Because the first year they let gamers in, Yeah, I, I put on the feedback, we need industry only days. And so what did they do the next year? They gave industry only hours. Yeah. So it like it was helpful, but it still wasn't enough. It's not nothing. I mean you you if it's industry only, you can get quite For three a bit. hours, you can do a lot in yeah. three hours. Yeah. If it's like and especially if it's first thing in the morning. Yeah. Meaning that like a lot of other people aren't there yet. Right. So you can accomplish a lot. But to have a whole day just for industry, mm-hmm. that would have made a huge difference. I think the ESA was trying to balance. We need numbers and we need sales revenue, yeah. revenue. Yeah. But we also want the spirit of the the event, right? You know, and that's it's like all these the gamer passes, the people who have been dreaming about attending E three, right? I get it. You and know? I, I'm gonna say something else. I I'm gonna say there was a a fourth contributor here, okay? And that was just the. The takeover of the internet mm-hmm. over physical me- oh, yeah. media. Like, I think that's when this ramp, downward slide started. Yeah. Because when you, when you don't need magazines, you don't need the journalist as much. They they were in that situation and where they had to figure all this out mm-hmm. because of just that shift. Yeah. You know? And, that you know, it's unfortunate... That we can't have like big in-person uh, events anymore. Yeah. It just seems to be that's the way things. Well, are going. I mean, there's still Tokyo Game Show, but we're gonna have there's VR still... in the future. So, ooh, there's still Gamescom. So, I mean, they are doing big video game events around the world. Right. There's just not one in North America anymore. Yeah. I mean, now the closest thing we have is the Game Awards. I mean, there's no demos to play. That's, there's yeah, no that's games to play. That's not the same at all. I mean, but it's like... It's it, the same in regards to, like, re, you know, reveals and stuff. Right. Like the I mean, premieres. you're getting a lot of industry people under one roof. Yeah. And then there are a lot of announcements. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there is no It's playing. also in downtown LA. Yeah. So it kind of has that a little bit. Now, we should mention that the creator of the Game Awards, Jeff Keighley, has been hosting... An event during the summer, basically right around the same time that E3 has normally been the last since 2020, mm-hmm. called Summer Games Fest. Mm-hmm. And at first, it started off as just a live stream thing, and then last year, I think it, I think it was 2022, um, 
they hosted a small um, in-person event. Did just you go, did you go to that? no uh-uh. no it was only for press. Oh okay. Um and like some like podcast oh, slash dude, content we creators. Got in. We could have um, got in if we wanted. Well, I am theorizing that Jeff is Jeff has ambitions. Yeah. To maybe get a more physical presence, maybe one day rent out the smaller hall at the convention center, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of a thing. I think he's looking at his legacy yeah. towards, Yeah, you know, he's like, looking at the long... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe on the horizon we do have something. I will say that so far Summer Games Fest has kind of been, you know, a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there's potential for something exciting to happen there. So did the Game Awards sort of replace Summer Games Fest, or are they going on? No, so basically Summer Games Fest is like just another project he's doing. Okay. So yeah, Summer Games Fest was earlier this year. Okay. It did have a small in-person component, but it was very small, invited influencers and journalists only. You bet. Um. But, I mean, he has hinted that he would like to, you know, find ways to get more people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone can, can seemingly unite yeah. the industry these days, it yeah. does seem like it's Jeff. He seems to, I mean, like, credit to the guy. He seems to have, like, maybe foreseen this and started getting his ducks in line. You're absolutely right. You know. Um, um, and I'll, I'll be on Team Jeff when it comes to that. He he was actually part of E3. Do you remember they started doing something, I think in like 2017, 2018, maybe 2016 too, called E3 Coliseum. Mm-hmm. It was over at LA Live in the Nokia Theater, the smaller yeah. Nokia Theater. Which is now the what? I think it's called the Novo or something <laughs> right, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they would do like live interviews with like famous devs, and there'd be like Hollywood people there too, like conversation. I don't two remember. E- you said EA Coliseum, E three Coliseum, uh, right? E three. So it was like an official thing that he was doing with E three, right? Um, and then I, it was either in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen that he stopped, and they had announced that they had like split ways with each other. Like, is over... this the thing that our friend got into with Microsoft? He got like a free Xbox or something? No, 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 no. That okay. what Microsoft had a thing called Fan Fest that happened prior to E three. Okay. Oh, okay. So this was just there, an. There's uh, so many events going. Uh, yeah, on. I know. There's so much happening during E3, yeah. and that like goes back to the like insanity and yeah. just like magical, just crazy off offsite meeting like meetups at bars with certain developers and publishers and stuff, and looking at games and stuff. I remember going to like. Uh, We're about to get into our memories yeah, okay. here. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, so um, <laughs> let's let's jump into some personal memories of E3. Now, before we talk about us actually attending the show. Uh, and we've kind of already touched on it prior, mm-hmm. but I mean, we used to read about E3, you know, from yeah. the late 90s to the so. early 2000s, E3, I mean, they were just these little square images in magazines. Yeah, they were, and yeah. It's, it was like, you would you would pour over them, look at every yeah. little dot on the page. Oh, you would go buy magazines at the store that you weren't subscribed to just for the E3 issue. Yeah. You know? 
Or you'd go to Barnes and Noble and flip through them all. And yeah, yeah. Not, not spend any money. That's what you would do. But you know, they they would. Uh, well, I mean, I didn't have money to buy every magazine. But then uh, I noticed some magazines they'd put them in like those poly bags. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, so like, you, can't you had to buy them. them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, and those poly bags had like E three printed on yeah. them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh man, I, I remember. Well, do you remember the? Uh, I think it was was it Game Pro? Yeah, something like was like that. was like one of the big magazines that wasn't Game Informer. I think it was Game Pro. Yeah, they did a special yeah. uh, when Twilight Princess was coming out. They did a special issue where the poly bag was completely black mm-hmm. and it just had a gold Triforce on it. Yeah, and it just said like Game Pro on it. Yeah, and I remember I I was obsessed with it. I bought two, mm-hmm. one to keep sealed and the one to actually open up and read. Right. Um, that's some good foresight on your yeah. young part yeah. because well, I also had help because my grandpa at the time, well, I don't know if he was still working there, but he used to work for a magazine distribution company. Mm-hmm. And so as a kid, I would get like all kinds of cool magazines and stuff yeah, just yeah, brought yeah. home to me. I know you were spoiled. So <laughs> it was free. They were old magazines that were getting trashed basically. Spoiled for free. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, but like, yeah, so those early days. So if you went like us, went to middle school from like 2000 to 2003, this was at least from our perspective, the golden time. Yeah. Like we, if you, you know, subscribed to Nintendo power every June, you got that June issue. It was like half the magazine was E3, yeah. photos from E3, interviews from E3. I mean, even in the like the next issue. Yeah, the next issue too. Yeah, yeah. It, would, it would be like two issues. It would just spill out. And I remember, like, and you remember, because we would we would meet up in oh, high yeah. school in 2004 and and discuss. Yeah, like this. Did you hear about did. this? Did you see yeah, this? And it was you know it was magic. Yeah. It was magic, and. You know, the Nintendo Power editors and writers and stuff would have interviews with yep. different developers of different big games. And just the envy you would have yeah. for the people oh, yeah. that could attend. It was like, this is where we... You, you felt like Bill and Ted. Like, yeah. you wanted to... Like, this is where you wanted to be. Yeah. And this is where you were at. And you were just idolizing. So, what know. we're going to talk about... Because we had such envy for the show, and yeah. that we wanted to go the, for the people that attended, and because we wanted to go, yeah, we decided that we were going to sneak in, yeah, to E3, yeah. So post high school, you had moved away, but you came back down to Southern California to visit mm-hmm. for the first time since you moved, I believe, back in two thousand nine, two thousand nine, and we decided. That, I think we had timed your visit. Yeah, we did. With E3, with we the did. intention of going down there. We did. We. You're right. I'm glad you brought that up. I'll also add that I was halfway... Wait, no. Was it halfway? Yeah, I was halfway through college at this time. Yep. Going to school for game design. Yeah. So this was a big... Like, this is where my headspace was at. Yeah. You know. So we drive down to LA to the convention center... Find somewhere to park our car. I think I remember we parked like a few blocks away because it was just like five dollars yeah. as opposed to like twenty or something yeah, like it that. Was, it was because there was no public. Yeah, and this, this was the year that I think battle one of the battlefield games was like the big banner. No, dude. No? I think it was Brutal Legend. 
Well, remember, they have two halls that have banners on them. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's the South Hall and there's the West Hall. I remember Brutal Legend okay. being up there. I remember they had, like, the Ghostbuster. I think the Ghostbuster video game from Activision yeah, was coming out. because they had the freaking they had Ghostbusters the, car. Yeah, they had the Ecto-1 on yeah. display out front. Um, that was, like, down the street a little bit, wasn't it? That was in front of the West Hall. Oh, right. The South Hall is, like, the one that's right on the street. The West Hall is the one that's next to Staples Center. You got to kind of like walk. You got to go into. I mean, we wrote about this, right? Or did we? No, we didn't have the bit beacon yeah, yet. Yeah, that's right. So this was. I mean, we got photos from it. There's yeah. some embarrassing photos of me. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, same. same. Yeah. Um, so, but when we say we snuck in, we actually we worked up the courage to not just take pictures with the stuff outside. Mm-hmm. We said we're gonna go in. I no. I worked up the courage. I'm going to take credit because okay, you, credit. I remember how reluctant you were. Well, you did not want, I don't want, I don't want my name on some list, right? I don't. <laughs> yeah. And you, you were, I, so I just started walking. I just started walking through the doors. See, I don't remember this. And I'm glad I, you do. I do remember this. You okay. bet, you bet, you bet your ass I remember this. I walked right through the doors. Because you were, you know, there were security, there were security people yeah. standing around. Well, I don't know if they were security or just like they had convention radios. center staff. They had radios, yeah. whatever they were. Yeah. Um, and they that were was, intimidating enough. You were intimidated. I walked just through the doors. And um, once inside the main lobby. Yeah, this was the West Hall we were in. Yeah, West Hall. The stairs were painted with Final Fantasy Thirteen. Oh, no, that was the South Hall then. Okay. That was the South Hall. You may be right. Yeah. The South um, Hall were the ones that were... That outside, I was taking, like, some photos with little... The minions, right? The min- No, they were rabbits. Oh, they were rabbits. That's yeah. right. I always get minions and rabbits. Yeah, I know. They're the same, they're, they're thing the same damn thing. You know what's crazy? They really are. Rabbits came first. Yeah. And then minions are just, like, a clone. Yeah, of, of rabbits. That's crazy. There is... The same behavior, yeah, like the gibberish language. The whole concept is the same. Yeah, I um, don't know how Ubisoft never sued yeah, DreamWorks. Yeah, maybe DreamWorks is paying Ubisoft, but maybe like, we don't know about yeah. it. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. So we got inside. Um, the stairs were sorry, painted. Illumination, not DreamWorks. Yeah. Okay. My okay. bad. I want to be accurate. <laughs> All right. Um, the stairs were painted with Final Fantasy thirteen, like yes. the whole title art. They were painted white. You know, and yeah. and you're like, we got in the lobby. You finally followed me in after I already went in. Well, I saw you'd made it. So yeah. I was like, all so right. So you're like, okay. If I, Rick can so, make it, I can make it. And then you're like, oh, man, this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. Like, and we thought we were in. Yeah, we were in. I mean, okay, so if you don't know the LA Convention Center, you go through the outside doors, you go up the stairs, and then there's another set of doors. Yeah. Yeah. And this second set of doors is the doors that actually takes you to where... This is the actual show floor. Yeah, where the demos... Right. Where they're checking your badge. But we... I mean, I believe that we were in a place where we weren't supposed to. You're right. At this point. There was there was no intention for the public to be in there. Right, correct. And and there were vendors, and there were some demos. And there stuff, was some stuff in know, that area. In that, in yes. that basic lobby. Along with a lot of art and illustrations and big posters, etc. on the wall. And walls. the merch booth. And the merch booth. Yes. So those were mostly down the hallways, like around yeah. the yeah. hall, you know. And we did buy some stuff. We bought merch. 
We bought merch. That's yeah. proof that we got yeah, in. I, God, I don't know. I have a photo of me wearing my E3 2009 shirt, mm-hmm. but I have no idea where that shirt is. We should mention that the shirts were mostly like really cringy, like gamer humor. Um. Well, they had the basic logo yeah. shirts and stuff with you know the one that's above the the right breast and yeah. the, the one that was like the full yeah it's E3. got like the e3 and the old school e3 with the the yellow e and the red three yeah, or whatever like juxtaposed yeah juxtaposed also and yeah we we bought i i think i bought two i bought a long sleeve shirt right it was like gray and then i think the arms were like blue that's right yeah you're right and it had like kind of a big emblem with the e3 logo on it on the chest i definitely like oh nine or two twenty and then oh nine on yeah. the other side mine probably wouldn't fit me today oh no but... mine was like double xl yeah. mine would definitely not fit me <laughs> mine's probably small <laughs> yeah but um i i did buy the one with just the small logo yeah and I know where it's at. It's in a box in storage okay. with like 300 other games. See, I got rid of a lot of my like shirts that were way too big on me. Really? And I have a I have a horrible scene. Well, I didn't think that E3 was ever going to be over. You know? Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's okay if I don't have this 2009 Ooh, shirt anymore. That hurts. I mean, hurts. it was like, as at least an XL. Yeah. At so, least put it in a box and put it away in your mom's attic or something. So someone can throw it away after I die? No, just, you know, you, so a museum can have it someday. Right, yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, we got in and we were, and we did attempt to go into the show floor because we were successful up to that point. Yeah, and, and seemingly it, we were buying merch, we were yeah, like playing like, demos outside. Yeah, and I... I I remember we were in the lobby. We just made it through the doors. We were walking around. You were your mind was blown that we were yeah. inside. And I'm because like, like the ceiling is so high. There's like stuff yeah. hanging from the rafters. I just, all these I, banners. I got this like breath of victory yeah. in me, and I'm like, I'm gonna go up the stairs. <laughs> and you're like, No, no, don't do it. And I did it. I just walked right and walked right up the stairs. And then that's when we made it into the hallways with the merch booths. And then at that point, we were both feeling success. Yeah. And we were like, okay, let's try the show floor. Yeah. And that's when we got kicked out. Well, I don't think we got formally we, kicked out. We didn't out. get formally kicked out. We just yeah. got turned away. Yeah, like, sorry, you need a bath. Yeah, and that's when we knew our journey was kind of over. Now, we did hang out. I remember we had a special sighting of two very famous individuals from the world of gaming. I remember a dude dressed in a Mario costume and a Sonic costume. That's who I'm talking about. Okay, all right. We saw Mario and Sonic. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. They were in costume. I think that was the year that the first Mario and Sonic Olympic Games was happening. I think you're right. That's what that was about. Um, So, yeah. And we're talking like Disneyland, you know, costumes. Full size. Not like your your Spirit of Halloween. Right. Costume, like Mickey like, Mouse costume, yeah, like that high level quality of costume, and yeah, they're like waving at everyone. Yeah, they're and taking stuff. pictures, yeah. doing the Disney dance. <laughs> the Disney dance. Everybody do the Disney dance. You know, like hugging kids. Yeah, and, yeah, that kind of thing. Not, not there. There were kids. I don't think there were kids. No, no. I think but, the only kids you would see at E three were like the kids, celebrities' of, children, celebrities' children. And, uh, like, people who run the show, their kids, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
great times. Yeah, so 2009. That, so, like, honestly, even after we started attending, mm-hmm. that might be my favorite memory of E3. Yeah. We didn't even go all the way in. Right. But that... That was just that incredible. Was, we got in. I mean, like, we got in. We bought merch. We got in. Okay, proof that we attended. And also, um, I'm going to point this out because this is big for me. Everybody knows what a big Final Fantasy nut I am. Yeah. That hotel down the street. Yeah, on Figueroa. Oh, like, yeah, on Figueroa, like, it's two, pe- two miles away from the freaking... It's not quite two miles. It's like mile. on the other side of Staples Center. Right. At like the next big intersection. There's this building that has these sort of three columns Like to towers. It. I think it's the Figueroa Hotel, you might I want right. to say. Anyways, the whole side facing the LA Convention Center was just painted with this giant... Like, I guess you'd call it a poster yeah. of... Final Fantasy thirteen yeah. with lightning just yeah. massive yeah. down the side of it. Like Godzilla size. Yeah. And I remember too. seeing that from the freeway when we were driving in yeah. and it just I I I lost it. Like Isn't it inside crazy I lost that we for all of E three's life, we were thirty minutes away. Yeah. Yeah, and all this crazy like like, how did we not ever ditch in high school and yeah. go, like, down there for the day? If we were bigger troublemakers than we were, yeah. we would have been more successful. I feel like AJL Numa, yeah. you know, Shigeru Miyamoto, like, Koji Kondo, they were all there. Right. I think there were opportunities, even though we got turned away that time in 2009, yeah. I'm sure if we were more... Like, if we, if we really tried to game it, wait for that right opportunity when they're holding the door for someone and then someone comes up yeah. and talks to them. And we act just... like we're, our, we're the bodyguards or something. Yeah, yeah. we could have just pulled right yeah, in there. Yeah, you're you right. Um, I mean, because I'm sure... Secu- and you go back even years further, when we were in high school, I'm sure security was even more lax. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Or if oh, we yeah. had showed up in the morning... Nobody Where cared. it's just like a crowd, and every they just open the doors and let everyone in. In 2009, security was so lax that we walked right in. Like, imagine what 2006 was like. Yeah. It, no no security. Like, there's no way. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It just because it was so industry and everyone was so professional, they didn't feel like they needed, you know, in 2019, it was crazy security. Like, crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had to show your ID along yeah. with your badge as you walked in. They shine some weird blue light on your ID yeah. to make sure it's a state issue. And the to... badge, too, had, yeah. like, some hologram or something hidden uh, in it. Some crazy... Um, so let's jump forward a little bit. Uh, in 2011 and 2012, mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I was working... Well, I wasn't fortunate to be working at Target, per se, mm-hmm. but uh, someone I was working with, um, you know who you are, uh, <laughs> Million, hope you're doing well, um, he let me borrow, he had a badge, because his father or his uncle was like some distributor or something of some kind, right. so he would always secure a couple badges for like his family, and anyways, he let me borrow his badge. For 2011 and 2012. Now, 2011 was great. It was a crazy year to go. Mm -hmm. Because that was the year that Nintendo announced the Wii U. 
Right. So they had a bunch of like tech demos set up for the Wii U, like tech demos that never became games. Right. So I got to play a bunch of these tech demos. I got to hold the prototype Wii U controller in my hand. Um, it, it had like circle pad pros from like the 3ds for like the sticks on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was different. And, uh, so yeah, honestly, that's like my, the, my main takeaway of E3 2011 was playing with the prototype Wii U. Um, and another thing I specifically remember, I went to Natsumi's booth mm-hmm. who at the time was publishing all the Harvest Moon games, all the Rune Factory games. Yep. And I got to play the new Rune Factory for PlayStation 3, which was called Tides of Destiny. So please tell me you have photos and videos of this time. I have a photo of me... Hold on. Actually, I want to get your live reaction to something. Okay. I have a photo of me holding the prototype Wii U gamepad. Okay. Okay? Let me see that. And you're going to laugh when you see this image because of my appearance. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, but, yeah, I do see... You see those circle pads? Yeah. Yeah. This is the only photo I have. I think I asked, like, the booth lady to take a picture of me holding the gamepad. Well, you can cut your head off. (laughs) Just be like, you know... Okay, now, but now I want to show you a picture of one year later when my friend loaned me his badge again, and I am again holding the final Wii U gamepad, all right? Just a, a before and after yeah yeah it's totally different so am i yeah oh yeah you're you're right you evolved with the u wii u isn't that great yeah you should be i love i love these two images back to back like i'm a yeah like i i I don't know i'm obsessed with looking at them back to back something you and i think the wii u is your spirit console man yeah yeah The most unsuccessful Nintendo console, aside from the Virtual Boy. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you can see the the different tech demo stations in the back. And this is where they had that tech demo for Zelda, where it was like you were inside this cathedral, and like Goma was like walking Mm -hmm. around. And like, you you don't get to control the demo at all. All the Wii U gamepad did was like change the perspective of the camera. In the game, not physically. Yeah. Right. Um, so like the, it's running on hardware. It's got this very like Twilight Princess realistic look to it, mm-hmm. and so people were looking at this tech demo. I was like, "This is what the next Zelda is gonna look like." Right. And then we end up getting uh, Twilight Princess. No, we get uh, Skyward Sword. Oh right. Or Skyward Sword had some no toon- Skyward Sword came it, out. It was tune shaded. Skyward Sword was tune shaded, and that came out in 2011. That's right. So this was what people thought. Skyward Sword, or not, sorry, um, okay. Breath of the Wild would look like. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're like, oh, they're going to go away from the cartoon look and go to right. a no, realistic wrong. look. Wrong. They ended up somewhere not quite as cel- not no, quite it's as cartoon- still tune shaded. It is, but There's it's just, not as cartoony uh, real, as... Real-time lighting. Yeah. Um, so, and I think, honestly, I think it's better that way. I would rather have a stylistic looking zelda game it makes it more timeless that way i okay so my favorite art style for zelda is twilight princess really yeah i i like twilight princess a lot i know that game there was so much hype for that game yeah oh like so well because it it took so long yeah to come out like it kept getting like these years-long delays yeah 
Um, Speaking of Twilight Princess, there was actually an E3 exclusive cartridge uh, for a for demo. The Nintendo DS. Nintendo DS. And All it, was it did just, was play the trailer. Yeah, it just was the trailer. I looked it up on eBay. It's hundreds and, and hundreds. I of found them. it. Yeah, it's it's like twenty grand. It's like yeah, I, I if I remember, maybe two it. grand. I could see. Uh, I don't think twenty. Th- I think that well, this was complete in. Box, right, it has a little like little... it had the sleeve that like the Metroid Prime first hunt sleeve right. kind of came in. There's also a manual. Yeah, there is also some kind of insert. Yeah, that was that. God, that must have been E3 2000 like six, six. or something like I think that. Six. Yeah. Um. So yeah, in 2011, 2012, I got to attend. It was really fun. 2012, the Wii U. Or again, all I can really remember about 2012 is I went to the uh, the Nintendo booth. They were demoing all the Nintendo Land games, which mm-hmm. was that pre-built software that came with the Wii U. Yep. And they would give you a little badge holder that you could clip to your badge. And as you played each of the different demos for the games featured in Nintendo Land, you would get like a special pin. And you could like put it into the badge holder. And then at the end, you would have like a complete collection of all the pins. Mm-hmm. So I, I've got that somewhere. Yeah, buried in my box that'll go to a museum someday, or so I'm told. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and then I also remember Spyro, the Skylanders, amiibo-like things were coming out. They predate amiibo, mm-hmm. and I went and played the demo, and I got this Chrome Spyro uh, figure. Like mm-hmm. they gave like E3 exclusive. You can only get this here. Yeah, I remember this, and. Uh, I ended up selling it for a hundred dollars on yeah. eBay because I was a broke yeah. uh, Target slash college. Imagine student. that now. Uh, maybe worth more, maybe worth less because really? Skylanders crashed oh, hard. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but uh, then, yeah, in 2015, Richard has a game. Yeah, Richard has a studio. Raven Art has a game. Sorry, Raven Heart. Excuse me. Um, um, so in May to May tenth, two thousand fifteen, I started development on Seraphim. Twenty fourteen, that was twenty fourteen. Yeah. Okay. We right. go to E three in twenty fifteen. That's right. Oh boy, it's gonna be ten years next year. Mm, yeah, yeah. Let's not think about that. All right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, twenty fifteen, we we got in under my studio. So we have badges that say our name. Studio, Studio Raven. Ravenheart. Yeah. Riff and, on this for a second, because I want to read something, but I want okay. you to... So I, I started the game. I worked on the game. It was originally going to be mobile, iOS, and Android. And then Taylor introduced me to PlayStation Mobile. Actually, you introduced me on to PlayStation Mobile when I was working on a prior project. Right. So I was already familiar with that. And this was... Toward the end of PlayStation Mobile's development or uh, life cycle, but uh, not quite announced or anything that that PlayStation Mobile was falling, you know, to the wayside. Um, so I my ambition was to release it on PlayStation Mobile, which I did was which was this whole you know endeavor of mine, um, and then we ended up getting into E three because we're now. A game development studio, or I was, and uh, well, you know, you had some support. Yeah, that's how I get in. Well, every game developer has some support, right? 
so well i mean you know i'm just saying that like you know i i was a member of the team right sure you're a wow. executive witness executive witness okay um so i actually i wrote this really touching tribute um in 2015 so here's my badge yep 2015 Taylor name studio, studio ravenheart yeah. Thanks for doxing me, bro. Putting my last name I'm out there. I'm sorry, you did it. No, you did it. You said it. We can uh, bleep it if you want. Um. All right. Uh. Anyway, so I said some time ago when I was in elementary school, I read about this magical expo in Los Angeles called E3. All the latest games and hardware on display just waiting to be played. Games that wouldn't be released for a year or two. It seemed too good to be true, but it was real. Every time June rolled around, I would open up and pour over the latest issues of Nintendo Power and EGM. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Well, no, EGM was Game Crazies. Hollywood um, Hollywood Videos Game Crazies. Okay. That was their magazine. I would tell myself one day I would make it there, all while thinking it was impossible. It wasn't hard to find others who shared my excitement, but as the years went by, people came and went. However, in high school, I met one of my closest friends still to this day. He was full of ideas for game projects and beyond. He still is. Finally, I met somebody who shared the same enthusiasm I do for this industry. We told ourselves that we would make it into E3 one day together. We would try, but it was never enough. Sometimes we would sit out in front of the convention center and imagine what it was like to be there. But this year it was different. This year we fulfilled a childhood dream and a promise we made to ourselves. I'm proud to be attending E3 this year as a member of my friend's ambitious team. You may be few in number, but I can't wait to help share his vision and creativity with people. Seraphim is going to blow people away once it's finished. May the memories and connections we make this week last us a lifetime and bring good fortune upon us. Have a great E3, everybody. Wow. Yeah, I don't think you ever read that. I never did. That's sounding like a love letter there, dude, a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's how I felt. Yeah, I, no, it's, that's touching. Thank you. Yeah, even though you're over here belittling me for, like, not even being worth bringing to the show. I, I'm giving you crap. Oh, okay. Like, you give me crap all the time. All right, fair enough. Uh, and, but, yeah, uh. So because we're there as part of Studio Ravenheart, I'm in particular feeling indebted. So I'm trying to find ways to make this a fruitful experience for us beyond just fulfilling dreams right so i i know about this little company at the time we've mentioned them before limited run games Mm -hmm. so far they've only put out a handful of games like we're talking like maybe maybe a dozen at this point if even that much right um and i reach out to one i i know that the two lead guys behind limited run are at the show Yep. And so I at one of them or both of them. Let's describe what Limited Run is at this point. They're not what they are today. No. They they are a small team. Boutique. Boutique. They are publishing like the smallest of any I mean, games. they're publishing mostly their own games so far that were digital only. Right. And they're just now getting into publishing other indie developers' games. Yeah. And so they're at E3 looking for more people to partner with. And mm-hmm. so I reach out to them and I'm like, hey, can we get a meeting? And within like 10 minutes, I got a reply. Sure, let's yeah. do it. And so we have this impromptu meeting with uh, Douglas Bogart, 
mm-hmm. who I believe is no longer involved with Limited That's Run. correct. I don't know what happened there. Um, I know they were like the best of friends since like junior high. Yeah, I don't even know if it was a falling out at this point of the founders. It could have just been shareholders and stuff at this yeah. point because Limited Run's just exploded. Yeah, they they sold out to Embracer. Yeah. Um, so now Embracer. So owns. they have a parent company. So that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who who know? Maybe they were like, well, we only need one of you. Right. So I don't know what the arrangement was, but Douglas is no longer there. But at the time, he was there. Big he, shout out to Douglas. Yeah, I think you know what. While nothing unfortunately ever came of uh, the. The numerous meetings we had with yeah. Douglas over we, the years. Twice at least, right? Three times. Three at times. least. Twice at E three and then once or twice at PlayStation Experience. Yeah, you're right. Three it was three meetings. Um he was always willing down to meet with us, hear us out, see the progress on the game. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I uh, wish, man, I wish. Well, like, like no, he would express how much he loves us and believes in us. Yeah, there was a time he actually posted on Twitter and he was like, hey, the, he said something to the effect of like, I'm really proud of these guys every year. They're, yeah. you know, they're trying to meet with me and stuff. Yeah. And he, I mean, what my biggest memory is when he said it, I think this was at PSX. Mm-hmm. He said that I really like you guys. I really like your game. Uh, but the landscape is changing. Yeah. You I know? mean, they were getting bigger, and unfortunately, the Vita was showing signs of Sony kind of yeah. wavering on support for it. Right. And the game wasn't far enough along to meet. I mean, the game got more and more ambitious. Yeah, it did. Well, we. It was because of Limited Run that I was given the incentive to turn it into a console game. Right. And while that initially meant just taking my infinite level and turning it into 24 levels, meetings with another publisher... Our meeting with Limited Run, almost in a way, doomed Seraphim's chances of ever appearing on the Vita. Uh... I'm going to take responsibility. Okay. I'm going to take personal, like, accountability for okay. my shortcomings and stuff. And, you know, because that, that was many years yeah. that I could have, like, done something to change that yeah. outcome. But um, and I part of that is just, you know, me still being on my first game mm-hmm. and not knowing what to do in certain situations. Yeah. Um, and just also being human and losing ambition yeah. because of all of this, you know, negative feedback and, you know, right. just doom and gloom. Um, but uh, when um, I had pitched Seraphim as in that format, so Seraphim actually transformed three times or had three stages. One was that infinite level. The second was the 24 stages that were based on that infinite level. And the third was what it is now. Yeah. And that that came about by pitching it to East Asia Soft and them telling me no. This yeah. is this is too basic. Right. You you got to have some, you had to have something more. Yeah. So now it's a masterpiece and still is and I'm actually resuming after my 2 year hiatus I'm starting work again on January 4th. January 4th. January 4th. What's special about the 4th? Oh, you're in I re- I'm returning from Las Vegas. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah. That's right. Um, Being real. 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 Being transparent right. with everyone. Yes. 
Rick's going to Vegas, going to win a bunch of money, and quit keep, his job. Keep it 100. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you heard, this is breaking news. Yeah, in Seraphim a way, yeah. I mean, not that anyone's paying attention. At the, you know, I mean, I've made a lot of empty promises. And I've, like, skirted my, like, release date and my deadlines. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are people who have been, list, you know, who followed Seraphim's development, especially in the Twitter space. Yeah. Who were, like, really looking forward to Twitter, Seraphim. And then... Just those dates kept getting pushed yeah. back. Those like milestones never came. It's hard to latch on to something like that and have faith in it. And yeah. I, I understand that better than anyone. So, you know, what do you do? You, I mean, go, this goes back almost to the No Man's Sky guys. Mm-hmm. In the face of like doubt and disbelief. You go offline. Yeah. That's what you do. You go offline and you finish it. And then you come back. And then you come back online when you really have something. Yeah. And that's so, what I that's my that's my plan. That's yeah. exactly my plan. Um but so twenty fifteen, we talked about that being the year that gamers were first let in. Yep. Uh I don't know that and that was our first year officially attending with our own names on badges, that kind of a thing. Yes. I don't think that um I don't think uh that we really noticed the gamer present so much that year. It was only five thousand people. Um, yeah you're right but in 2017 that's when it became really noticeable i remember a sentiment that i had about 2015 okay and that was that okay they're letting this gamer pass thing you know no that wasn't 2015 that was 2016 17 17 okay i'm talking about 17 okay bad um yeah i noticed that you know okay first of all they're letting this gamer thing and i don't know what to think i'm skeptical of it and i was skeptical of it. well because we you in particular had actually earned your way yeah, yeah, right. into E3. <laughs> There's that too. And There's... now they're just letting people pay a hundred dollars and they get to go. You're right. Yeah, I guess the, I guess that might have probably been a factor. But more my thinking was, what does this mean for the future and especially the future of E3? Yeah, I remember thinking that specifically, and I thought, okay, I understand why they need to do this. And if they need to do this, they need to do this. But God, I hope it doesn't kill the experience of E3. And I remember being there for 2017 and being like, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. They got to do what they got to do. They got to make some revenue. You know, a lot of stuff's going digital. Digital sales are up. Our badges are free, too. As industry, badges are complimentary. Right. So it's like anyone whose industry is not making money. And that's... Or they're not making money for the well, ESA. That's, that's always been the case, though. It used to be industry exclusive. Yeah. The idea know? was that the, the people putting their stuff on the show floor are paying for everyone to come. Basically. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so they, you know, for what, you know, with just the disappearance of magazines and the, you know, rise of the internet and them just not having the same results that they used to have from putting on e3 they needed to bring in the gamers and let them pay two hundred dollars or a hundred dollars or whatever for their gamer badges yeah and i'm like okay that sucks but if they need to do it i'd rather have an e3 than not than not have an e3 and i remember we now uh, we don't have any right 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 but i remember being there in 2017 specifically 2017 and being like that wasn't so bad yeah. And wasn't was that the year that they gave him the like day three, like day three was the gamer day? 
Um, I think, well, no, 2018, the first two days, the first three hours were industry only, and then gamers could come in. Mm-hmm. And then day three was gamers could come in immediately. Okay, with that's else. right. You're right. So they gave them a day and a half at the end. I think I... I think I didn't usually. I think I usually only attended the first two days. Mm-hmm. I think I was kind of like, oh, I can't drive out to L.A. for a third time in a row. You right. know? Yeah. Um, I think there were some years you did go all three days. Yeah, there but were. Usually, I only did the first two days because it just I had mostly done everything I needed to do or wanted to do at right. that point. Right. Um, yeah. 2017. I will say these these years kind of blend together a little bit. They really do, same. And I'm having a hard time with that. (laughs) But I will say 2017 was a good year. Yeah. That 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 might be the last time that I say it was. Oh, we should we should talk about 2015. We got to go to a party, an after party. Yeah. For oh, that was 2015, right? Yeah, that was was chart boost. Chart boost. So, if you don't know what Chart Boost is, I'll explain. They're a mobile platform for ads, mm-hmm. mobile ads, and they they are they have their own API that you integrate into your mobile game uh, to display interstitial ads as well as banner ads. And originally, Seraphim was a mobile game, yeah, so... and and incorporated uh, Chart Boost as well as AdMob and right. some I, maybe someone else. So remember. your representative at Chart Boost. Mm-hmm. reached out to you and said, hey, you going to E3? I was invited. And you're so, like, yeah. So I met him at the Marriott. Okay. I I had a drink with him at the... He reached out to me and said, I want to meet with you personally. And we had a one-on-one meeting at the bar at the Marriott. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, we had an after party at a, like a secret bowling alley. There's a bowling alley in Air, Air, uh, LA Live. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. I think it, it's yeah. a, like upstairs of like a restaurant or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's above the restaurants, kind of near where the theater is. Um, but I felt, man, I just the feeling, the feeling of being on a business meeting. Yeah. In I my, got to go to that with you. You we were at the Marriott with me? Not the Marriott. I was at the bowling Oh, no, alley. the bowling thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm just talking about like the lunch mm-hmm. thing. That just. For me, in my situation, that felt like, oh man, I've made it. Yeah. I was like, I'm having business meetings at E3, <laughs> you know, even though it was chart boost. Right. You know. Still. It, yeah. Still. I mean, we had met with Limited Run that year. Yeah. We met, you met with chart boost. I mean, like, that was like a... I remember I had my briefcase, briefcase and like, I, I felt big, yeah. man. I felt like I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. And you were... Um, but let's talk about this party real quick. Cause I think it's the only real example of a, a true invite only mm-hmm. E3 party that we went to. We had that Mad Cats thing or something. Yeah, Whatever that was that bad. Was. No, we don't talk about that. <laughs> that was junk. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we went to some sussy. Yeah, we, we, um, I keep, I keep getting invited to that though. I think that's, oh yeah, I unsubscribed from that. I was like, I don't (laughs) want to go to that anymore. Uh, I went once and that was rough. Like they expected people to start dancing. It was like so awkward. Is this hype thing? Yeah. It wasn't even game related. Um, okay. So let's talk about the chart boost party though. Yeah. Open bar, open food. Yeah. Uh, there's merch, like yeah. we got Chart Boost t-shirts, water bottles. Got handed this stuff. Yeah. At the door. Like a g- goodie bag. At like, the here door, you go. yeah. Um, 
I think I still have the chart. It was like it, it had chart boost in green. I wore my chart boost shirt this week. I yeah. wear it period like at least once a month. Well, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Just because the memory. And then at the bowling alley, I remember like our rep like talking business with us, like yeah. you know what the plan is. Oh, we got this great new thing. You yeah. know, it's gonna make you a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I mean. Well, we had just had a meeting with Limited Run. Yeah, and I think we kind of knew that we were... We were, uh, like, phasing out the mobile yeah. initiative. And but we are like, just, we're still going to go to this party. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, that's crazy. What, who's your rep's name? Let's give a shout-out to your rep. I don't remember his name. Oh, okay. I can look back in emails from... R.I.P. to Chartboost rep. Right. Uh, no, they're still around. I know, I know Chartboost is around, yeah. I wonder if that guy's still there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Probably his, his business card said what evangelist? Was oh, his that's position. right. Yeah, yeah. We called him a chart boost evangelist. Yeah, basically a sales rep. Right. Yeah, but that's cool. Yeah, I like the style. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was fun. I I enjoyed. I remember they had like some like fried cheese thing specifically that we were. I remember touching the bowling balls and like people were touching the bowling balls and the food with like I don't remember the same that. Hands I remember the female bartender. Who was serving me drinks? I don't. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, but I do remember uh, being at the bowling alley. Like there I, was like two segments. There was like the bar area, yeah. and then eventually the, we moved the over to the whole party. Kind of just moved yeah. into the bowling alley. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was like a lounge with the bar, and then we went down the steps yeah. into the bowling alley. Um, I remember being at the lane though, and talking to the guy next to me who was younger than me, and I'm like, "So what do you do?" And he explained to me that he just repurposes mobile games. Basically, like, uh, reskins, you know, etc. Is, he, this, he, where, is he this where it. this connection came from? No. No, 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 no. I know oh, what you're okay. thinking, and no. Oh, okay. Uh, We're not going to talk about that? In another episode. Okay, we'll talk about that yeah. someday. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- this other younger guy... Um, I think he was an I think he was a Middle Eastern okay. immigrant, but fascinating to hear him do what he does because that was new a new concept to me at the time. I think it's just churn out of yeah, just game. yeah, just replacing game assets with stuff on the asset stores, um, purchased art assets, and that's what he does. And he Im- implements chart boost, and that's why he's at the party. And he, he apparently makes like a good living doing yeah. it. Uh, I want. I think the mobile game landscape has changed, where maybe that's not really that, viable. Yeah. I mean, and I think the app stores caught on to like yeah. that game churning. Churning. I, that's um, a good term. Yeah. I like that term, game churning. Like because I think they used to promote new apps, yeah. new games. Yeah. Like there was a new game list. So yeah. People would go there and just download all the and new games. And if you made a new game, quote unquote, cheaply enough, you could just make it worth it. By just being in that I mean, list. either it was a dollar or just the sheer amount of ads you yeah. have inside your game was enough to generate enough revenue from thousands of people downloading because you're on the new game right. list. Right, and by the time your game is off of the new games list, you got, you got you, a new one. You turned out a new one, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really cool to go to that party. Um, you know, this was a really special time for games. Like, this era, we had PlayStation Experience, we had E3... And just numerous other, like, side things going on. I mean, it was just an incredible time to be yeah. playing games in the industry, doing stuff. Yeah. Like, there was just 
yeah, it was just it, was, it really was the good old days right there. Unfortunately, I felt at the time like it was the beginning of the good days, and now it's the good old days, right? And that that's unfortunate, but yeah. I mean, it it would have been nice if that had that ball just kept yeah. rolling and getting bigger as it went downhill. I mean, it's life's not over yet, but no, I agree. Like that ball can start rolling again, right? But you got to push it, son. Yeah, I do. Um, so I think we're gonna tie it off there. Yeah. Um, good time. This is a good episode. Yeah, I good like episode. Good memories. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about some E3 memories. Yeah, and you know, I've mentioned previously how I like would get people to sign games and stuff, mm-hmm. and I mean that happened so much at E3. Yeah, yeah. that was like good luck. The highlight of my year, like especially. When it came to Japanese developers, mm-hmm. E3 was the only place to find them. I remember you asking the president of Atlas to sign, and he's like, no. <laughs> you know, I did... Okay, a couple of quick ones I want to mention. Chip Tanaka, mm-hmm. who was the composer for, like, Metroid and a bunch of, uh, like, a Balloon Fight, a bunch of classic NES games. He would later go on to become the president of Creatures, Inc., yeah one third of like that's the crazy. Own, yeah right that's crazy yeah you go from making music to being the president yeah. of creatures inc um he retired from that role last last year i want to say mm-hmm. so he's like pretty much out of the industry now wow um he does still make original music though um anyways i bumped into him just walking in that like outdoor hallway where the food trucks and stuff were usually at mm-hmm. um and i didn't have anything with me but i was like oh my god Chip Tanaka yeah. has like because he has this like Mozart looking hair, yeah, so it's like okay. he's very recognizable. And so I just gave him my badge and he signed that for me. And I told him, "Oh, I really like your new album." Um, and so that was like really special to see him. Um, one other one that was maybe a major highlight. I got the original Animal Crossing signed by the two creators of the series the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had messaged, at the time, the director of the 3DS version of Animal Crossing, Mm -hmm. Aya Kyogoku. I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong. I had replied, or I had sent her a tweet. And I was like, hey, would you be willing to meet me at E3 to sign my game? And she sent me a DM. Mm -hmm. And she was like, where are, like, she sent me, she's like, where are you? Like, while I was, like, inside the Nintendo booth on the first day of E3 2018 or 19, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, I'm wearing this Hawaiian, this Donkey Kong-looking Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Um, And I'm, like, I'm in the booth right now. And she not only showed up, but she brought with her the actual, like, co-creator of Animal Crossing. Wow. So I had them sign my 3DS copy, but that year I also happened to bring my GameCube one. Uh, the original Animal Crossing for GameCube, and he signed that for me too. And then later in the day, I saw the other co-creator. Uh, his name is Aguchi, or I want to say it's Aguchi, E-G-U-C-H-I. Mm-hmm. And he was up uh, up high at the Nintendo booth. Yeah. But he was like looking out over the booth, and I was at the bottom of the booth, and I just held up my cover of the game oh, and wow. waved at him wow and he noticed me he smiled and then he came down he the like knows. velvet staircase that was like roped off wow. and signed it for that's, me that's that's a memory right there. yeah um so th- those two are like some major highlights right there for me yeah 
But uh, we really do got to wrap this episode up. Yeah. We were doing really good on time. Yeah, good, good. But uh, we're going to say goodbye, and we'll see you next week. And transmission. <laughs>